For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. On the front of the mirror, heat wave is on. Ireland's scorching weather will be officially declared a heat wave with temperatures set to top 30 degrees in the next few days. If you look at the middle of the country, I suppose that's, an, and in fact, one or two places up uh, the northwest as well got temperatures that really wouldn't have been expected. The Times this morning is talking about the highest temperature for August in almost 20 years has been recorded and expected to get hotter over the coming days. Like up in County Mayo in a place called Balderig. Uh, they're the highest since 2003 up there yesterday. 30.3 degrees. That's quite hot, particularly for up around the west. So the heat is on as a headline from the Mirror today. They talk about Met Aaron saying that every day this week is to get warmer Every single day today, maybe 28, tomorrow 29, and who knows? Uh, you know, today and tomorrow certainly uh, could well be the highest, and uh, actually today, tomorrow, and Saturday. Uh, so the papers this morning talk about warning to stay safe, to stay water safe during the heat wave in more ways than one. You know, when you're in the water or near the water, drinking water is another thing. And indeed, also sunscreen and trying to find some shade when you need it, particularly people who might struggle in hot conditions. But that's a story making the echo today where they talk about a status yellow high temperature warning kicks in for Cork today until Sunday. You know, yesterday's programme we were talking about and uh, photographs were being shared online with regards to the planter boxes and the pl- the shrubs and the flowers and everything all ripped up uh, around the city. Princess Street, Patrick Street, down around the Opera House and what have you. That's the story that makes the front of the echo today. They talk about the disgust after the flower planters were vandalised. Just before I was finishing up yesterday on the air, I was saying that uh, uh, City Council horticultural workers were out again yesterday morning replanting them, putting them back together uh, in fairness to them. They shouldn't have to do it, but they did it quickly. There's another story that makes, um, you know, Patrick Street a story from Patrick Street today makes this week's edition of the Cork Independent. They talk of the sale of Debenhams, what was Roach's stores. It's going on the market. Uh, who knows who will buy it? Who knows what they'll do with it? It's been left empty since 2020. And it's on the market now for 20 million euro. What would you do with it? I mean, could you put apartments in there? Could you put shopping downstairs with apartments up over? Would you put shopping downstairs with maybe uh, office stuff like that over overhead? Or would you put a hotel in there? Uh, or maybe you could put a shopping archive downstairs with the hotel on top. I don't know, but uh, the former Debenhams building, uh, 20 million uh, euro and it's on the market. Will be bought locally, nationally, internationally? Pension fund? Who knows? Uh, the government is considering a 15 euro hike in pensions and welfare payments. That's why the headline in the Sun reads, 15 euro dole rise to ease the cost of living crisis. And they're also talking about putting in an extra 30% tax rate. Um, It's interesting though that they talk about social welfare increases uh, because I don't think it was ever needed as much uh, because it really is very difficult on everybody, particularly trying to survive on uh, 205 or 210 or whatever the case may be or in some cases that little bit higher particularly trying to uh, support a family on yeah I mean even trying to support a family say for instance on 300 or 350 euro a week I mean think about it particularly if you need a car and have to drive a car so the government's considering the 15 euro hike I don't think anybody would have a problem with that for those that uh, would be struggling rent's out of control and we were talking about uh, rent prices increasing right across the country a 12% rise in, in Cork only in the last few months. It's a front page you're making the echo today. They pick up on the stats because uh, when you add it all up, it's about €1,600 Euro a month for the average rent uh, on side, and rent is out of control and um, it looks to me as if uh, Thomas Gould is uh, 
not getting much of a, a summer holiday any day yet because he seemed to be quite busy in this regard as the day goes by and he's not blasting the government and blasting the coalition and the state of the nation. Maybe their time will come. We'll have to wait and see. But other things that they're thinking of, so welfare increases, they're talking about a 15%, a 15 euro increase in and around that. They're also thinking about cutting landlord taxes. The reason they need to do that, of course, is to try and stop them leaving the market stop them selling up and trying to get landlords to hold on and stay in the rental market. So tax breaks to encourage landlords to stay in the rental sector are supposedly a good idea, according to Leah Varadkar. And that's the story that makes the sun. But the cost of living um, is the front pager in the star. Costa, as in C-O-S-T-A, living. Uh, and the cost of everything, if you like, particularly when you look at prices overseas or indeed north of the border, because an awful lot of people now apparently are and have been and will be more when it comes to the wintertime crossing the border. They have been for coal and they have been for booze uh, and there are, there are off licenses just over the border that are thinking of actually, like if you have a shop that also has an off license, they're thinking of making the shop smaller and the off license part of it bigger with the amount of trade of people coming across the border not just for their own use but I imagine for retail use as well, maybe restaurateurs are also doing it up around there so they're thinking, the, thinking of, of slashing the duty on alcohol to bring down the price of beer uh, through um, uh, the, I don't know whether it's actually anything to do with the heat wave or anything, but the star is trying to make it out that it is because they're talking about to, um, to help thir- the thirsty nation as it, sizz- as it sizzles through the second heat wave of the summer. But cheap booze would go down well and duty could be slashed in a way of easing the cost of living. Uh, I don't know why they're just talking about booze and they're not talking about home heating or they're not talking about fuel or they're not talking about income tax rates. Or I mean, apparently, they're still not even giving people their COVID payments, for God's sake. Some texts on that in a few minutes' time. But fear... Um, for our own tax take is another reason why they could cut uh, cut the price of alcohol because they're making less money out of it now and one of the reasons is that drivers are people are literally driving to the shops on the other side of the border to get much cheaper booze sports makes many of the papers today I've got a story from the mirror on it I've got a story from the examiner and a lot of the red tops talk about uh, changes to policy and rules within the IRFU now this has been met with quite an amount of uh, criticism uh, by those within the LGBT community because the IRFU and the campaigners are furious over this decision uh, to ban trans women and girls over the age of 12 from playing contact rugby. Um, It means that only those whose sex was recorded as female at birth can play contact rugby in the female category, which means that if somebody was born male and then transitioned to female, they would not be allowed to play female IRFU rugby They base it on research, they're saying. According to the examiner today on their front page, the IRFU say that um, research provides evidence that there are physical differences between those people uh, whose sex was assigned as male uh, and those as female at birth. So what they're saying is those born male and those born female at birth have physical differences. And the male born male would have advantages in strength, stamina and physique brought about by male puberty um, and would even be retained those you know, strength and stamina and physique even if there was testosterone suppression. So on that basis, they've said somebody born male who transitions to female will not be allowed to play uh, IRFU 
uh, female rugby. The FAI now are also looking, and I believe the GAA also are considering with the Football Association, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association are also confirming that they're reviewing their policies on transgender participation. So interesting times. Uh, Puck Fair continues to uh, dominate uh, the red tops and indeed the male picks up and apparently somebody offered to give the Puck Fair committee a goat statue so they could let the Puck goat go free back up into the mountains. But the organisers said thank you very much and rejected the offer. But, um, you know, there, there's a year's go, year goes by that there isn't criticism of Puck Fair, particularly those who find it cruel uh, and that it's barbaric and it's of an age now that where it should no longer be tolerated, where a goat would be captured, kept for three week, three days and put up on the top of a big high uh, pedestal uh, and just sits there for other people's entertainment. But it's uh, it's 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 actually something that's been um, you know acceptable for over what is that it's got to be 400 years old that festival I mean there was one or two years when it didn't happen because of COVID but other than that but anyway it dominates many of the papers today as usual and then of course I didn't mention this because I ran out of time yesterday but the change to WhatsApp will probably come as um, you know Good news for an awful lot of people, me included. For those of us, for people who get invited into WhatsApp groups and they've never asked to be invited into WhatsApp groups, you probably were tearing your hair out and having nightmares as to how do I get out of this group without anybody noticing me? Like you might have been brought into a hen group for a hen party or a planned hen party or a stag or something. Uh, and then you, you couldn't get out of it and you ever wanted to be in the first place. Some people have it with regards to family groups or friend groups that they don't want to be into. So apparently WhatsApp now are changing an awful lot of their features. You'll be able to get out of it now and no one will, no one will know except for the administrator. And the problem is what if the administrator then tells everybody uh, that Neil left the group? Everybody will be so angry with you. You might get trolled and they'll be kind of... Just say, oh my God, how could you do such a horrible thing? Also, you know, one of the, one, one of the more devious things in WhatsApp is that blue tick. Um, so the blue tick uh, tells somebody that you read their message. Um, and, and I think that's kind of, I think that can be very annoying. I'm just saying that it's, it's intimidatory, but it's not far off it. Because if you read someone's message, they know you've read it because they see the blue tick. And then if you don't respond straight away, they're kind of saying... What's his problem like? Why doesn't he respond? Why is he wait? You might want to think about the message. You might be busy. You might not have time. So that annoys people. So that's going to go as well by all accounts. And if and also if you there are other bits and pieces about for the times you want to keep your online presence private, they're also introducing the ability to select who can see when you're online or not. That's also very annoying where somebody can tell actually if you're online because it says it on WhatsApp. So all of the things are going. It's all about people's privacy really, not to be getting grief. And drama. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. I was just mentioning there with regards to all of the different things the government is proposing. One of the things that isn't being passed on is uh, healthcare payments to healthcare workers. Now, this could be, this may well be updated, but my last, my last news on it was that uh, people still haven't got their bonus. Like a uh, texter here says, my husband works in a private nursing home, worked the whole way through the pandemic. There is no sign of the €1,000 from the government. Yes, he loves and adores his job, and it's so disappointing. Uh, my brother also works in a healthcare setting, Neil, but, uh, since, but has since moved into a role in the HSE. He's entitled to the payment too, but hasn't received it either. And if that wasn't enough for you with regards to paying a bonus or promising a bonus that they just don't pay, I work in both a private hospital and a private nursing home. 
that is not paying the staff the government bonus at all. I've no idea what the reason behind this is, but what I do know is that 95% of the staff there caught the virus, up to and including myself. I've worked in healthcare since the beginning of the pandemic, and the only time I missed work was when I had COVID. All of the staff were, and still are, being well overworked and getting nothing extra from day one of the pandemic. And now we learned we're not even getting the bonus it seems very unfair. Unfortunately, don't give up my details. As working in both buildings, as in a private hospital and a private nursing home, it's almost obvious who I am and the management um, will know that I'm working with them. Yeah, I won't give out your personal details, but I'm wondering, is that the case? Are there still people out there who worked on the front line, um, particularly those in health, who have not got their bonus and what reasons were given for you not getting it. But if you don't mind, I want to turn back to weather for now. Text 0868104106. We're very much in demand these days. Is Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather, and he joins me uh, briefly by phone as we head into an even hotter period. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So whatever temperatures we got over the past few days, expect to add another one or two degrees for the next three days. Is that right, Alan? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, all right, Neil. Um, temperatures are going to get up to 30, uh, 31 degrees even in some parts. Uh, today, tomorrow, Saturday, and then even on Sunday, still holding on to high 20s. Um, Cork probably peaking around 28, 29 degrees tomorrow, um, Saturday, and even Sunday. So uh, a few very hot days ahead indeed. Yeah, So that because there's been a lot of chat over the past few days from people. I was reading a text out on the air yesterday. A fella says, you're absolutely insane. You need to get a grip. It's not going to hit 30. You're, you're pretty much endorsing that, are you? <laughs> oh, it's it's going to get it's going to get up to thirty in some areas. Cork, I'm talking about. It's probably more up the country, yeah. is what you're saying, is it? Well, well, if you head if you head into um, kind of I suppose North Cork, you could get up to thirty degrees. I'm just trying to think what stations might be there. Oh, to record yeah, you see, further yeah. isn't it true? Further away from coastal areas, then it could get exactly. High. That's yeah. it. Exactly. That's it's 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 the coast that keeps the people like. People in Cork City and along the coast will certainly not see thirty degrees. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you head inland, you 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 know you very well could see um, because actually the weather models were showing uh, Care and Tipperary is possibly the highest. So, for example, there's a station in Fermoy, um, and there's one between uh, Mallow and Buttervent that could could well see thirty degrees. So what would day would that out. be? Is that is it hottest tomorrow? Is it? Tomorrow and Saturday, gotcha. both days probably probably as hot as each other. Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, Friday and Saturday the two hottest days. But not, it's not going to be far off its day now either. Not and, going to be far off at all. And when have we? I mean, they're saying that Aaron saying this third, this twenty nine or thirty could be uh, the first time since what two thousand and three or something? Is it? No, well, it's yeah, two thousand and three um, is the last time we saw uh, over thirty. But um, nineteen ninety five is the record for August, which was thirty one point five. If anybody remembers the summer of ninety five, it was uh, an incredible summer spell, um, and we could get close to that that all time record for August. That was here in Carlo, in Oak Park, in Carlo. Um, and again, we could be the hottest part of the country in Carlo, so we could well get close to that all-time record. You've seen, you've seen across the, the the water in the UK and indeed in Europe, where they have drought and they're doing uh, water restrictions, and there are fo- raging forest fires all over the place. That's fairly serious stuff, isn't it? Oh, it is, and and you know the the, the drought in parts of Europe is is incredible. Really, um, there were some satellite images that the uh, they're showing their high resolution, and you could see just how yellow um, the, the ground looks in, from above in terms of France. But even eastern UK, like 
parts of England are completely and utterly burnt. Um, now we we are quite dry here in Ireland in parts. I mean, the soil moisture deficits for the farmers out there is is anywhere between fifty and seventy millimeters. So they'll be doing the rain dance very hard. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, because I've seen the photographs across Europe and the UK of literally burnt crops in the field, like just destroyed all sorts of different crops. Well, the only upside to this is probably bees, is it? They're the only ones that are benefiting. Would you think for honey yeah, and what have you? I'm sure it is. I know from talking to beekeepers that trying to handle bees is much better in this weather. Um, they're, they're a lot happier in themselves, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> if you go to attack or open up a beehive when it's 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 uh, showery, they're, they're not very happy. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good time for the beekeepers, yeah. But it is... It is, uh, it is going to get tricky if we don't get the rain, but it does look like we could see some, some showers on Sunday. There's a risk of thundery showers as well. So just like the last hot spell, it could come to an end with a bang with uh, some thunderstorms possibly Sunday evening and also again on Monday. So we could see some thundery downpour Sunday and Monday. Is this abnormal weather? I, I know we don't typically get this kind of weather in the summer, but should we be alarmed at it? Or should well, we enjoy it? Which... Well, I, I think I think we have to be balanced here. I think we have to tell people to enjoy the fine weather. We put up with enough really awful weather in Ireland, um, and especially people that maybe are trying to holiday at home because they can't afford to go abroad. Let's enjoy the fine weather. But certainly it is not normal weather, no. We have seen them, as I say, in 1995. We saw a spell just as good, if not better. Um, but, you know, climate change is happening. We are going to see more extremes. But they are more related to, I suppose, the likes of the 33 degrees that we saw in July this is a, is a warm spell of, of good weather that we can see in August and we have seen in the past. But the drought is probably the, where the problem comes in, Neil, because, you know, we are going to see more droughts and then we're also going to see more extreme rainfall. So we're going to see more extremes in both ends, so there's no denying that. But certainly I think, you know, there's no point spoiling people's phone and thank you all doom and gloom when, yeah. when we get the, the fine spell of weather. Enjoy it. So it comes with the usual warnings about being safe around water, wearing sunscreen, looking after pets and finding shade from time to time and drinking plenty of water. That kind of palaver, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and unfortunately, there has been a very sad drowning in Carlo here overnight mm. last night in the River Barrow. So, you know, I was actually out in the River Barrow myself only downstream on a paddleboard last night. And it's very sad to wake up and hear that news. So that's the main thing, really. You know, if you're going around water, just be careful, just be extra careful, because a lot of people go towards rivers and seas that maybe haven't been there in years or not used to it. So... Yeah, let's like try and enjoy it, but let's try and make sure everybody comes home. Particularly the children who get very excited when the weather is good and the sun is shining and they want to get to the water. Just be aware of it to avoid tragedies over the next few days. Fair play to you, Alan. I'll let you get on. I know you're in huge demand today. Thanks for always being available. Have a great day. Cheers. Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. Today, tomorrow and Saturday, the hottest of it. There could be showers on Sunday. It'll change somewhat on Monday, but we'll still stay in the 20s. Anyway, text 0868104106. Just staying with weather and what have you. Um, The uh, Cork Motorcycle Racing and Vintage Club had a big uh, motorcycle race planned, but cancelled it due to heat. Now, I don't don't want to be, you know, over the top about it, but I think that it might have to do with melting roads. Uh, Donald, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are things? Has it to do with the extreme heat and literally melting roads? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. It's probably a first of its kind in history now, to be fair. There's an event of of something similar to this has been cancelled because of, of, of extremely good weather. Uh, generally, we're battling with uh, the elements to hold a, a motorbike event on public roads like these 
it's generally the rain that goes against us. Uh, yeah, but at this stage, the it's the roads melt during the day. So what happens then? Makes the tire. Yeah, we, we're, we're proposing, we were hoping to run this event uh, this coming weekend. And the, the, the track itself is just on the outskirts of Glenmore there from Killalock Cross and the Carton up to Crush. And there's, just unfortunately, the sections of the road uh, are experiencing, obviously, this unprecedented heat. Yeah. And with the road traffic that's on it during the week, um, it's causing the road basically to melt during the day. And it's it's literally taking a different form than when it cools at night time. So, and uh, with, with motorbikes uh, on roads such as these, we, we couldn't possibly risk uh, those bikes on the road. too slippery for the tyres. Firstly, the melted tarmac. And secondly... The next day after it's solidified, it's all bumps and hollows, is it? Now, I'm losing you there, Donald. What'd you say? Oh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, exactly. No, it's not great. And I'll see if I can clean up that line if I move around a bit. Because I know those, some of those bikes, they'd be like super bikes. They, they, they could get up to, what, 180 miles an hour? They could indeed in parts of the road there. 180 miles an hour. God. Yeah. Sorry, my man. I'll have to leave it there because the phone line is shocking. But uh, that's all as a consequence. Imagine that. Superbikes getting up to 180 miles an hour on a course around Glanmire. Must be an incredible thing. It's not, not constant. I mean, I'd say the average uh, a lot less than that, but up to 180. And all of that, of course, is weather related. I mean, you know what it's like, actually. Thank you, Donald. Appreciate you taking the call. Uh, you know what it's like, actually, if, for instance, you have a car with black seats. Say if you have a car with black leather seats and it's out in the sun like, and you're wearing shorts, you get seriously burnt when you sit into it. My, my car has black leather seats. Um, I guess the best kind of a car to have these days is probably, is probably white. But anyway, on, on, the, on the motorcycling, that's incredible, isn't it? Melting roads. Yeah, melting roads. And, you know, he said that um, it's pity actually Donald wasn't, the line wasn't uh, great there in the end because Donald said they had a, a fairly major accident uh, about 10 years ago due to the wet weather. Wet weather, yeah. But um, yeah. this is, I mean... At this time of the year. At this time of the it was, year. It was raining <coughs> and they had a wet... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now we're talking about melting roads and... One of the things Donald says is like it has to be postponed, and they're hoping next week weekend that it, potentially because they have to close all the roads again. But even if they do, the road now has changed so much in the last couple of days between it melting and then re kind of solidifying when the temperatures drop and melting traffic going over it, changing the shape, changing the surface, changing yeah. the whole road. Yeah. So I suppose that's a, probably a good bit of advice to people who are driving long distances this week that the roads just don't have the same amount of grip that they normally would. Like uh, they, yeah, the yeah. heat just totally changes them. Yeah, I can't, f- I can't find the article there. I was reading an article this morning in the papers of a fellow who was uh, pulled over by uh, the guards uh, while driving. Where is that fucking article? I can't find But he, he was on the wrong side of the road and the guards wanted to know why and he said, avoiding potholes. <laughs> have we all done it though? Yes. I've done it. All the time. Yes. Middle of the road, trying to stay out of the trenches. And especially, I mean, our own road is destroyed with Irish water now, so it's trying to avoid all the potholes on it is just... And the man... It's the actually the manholes. I don't know about you, Seamus, but it's the manholes where they're sunk into the ground. Person holes. And... Yeah, <laughs> my apologies. Yeah. Non-gender-identifying non-gender holes. Um, but... Uh, but you know, like I, I, what was it? Where was I going yesterday? And I hit one of these, and I hit them so hard that both myself and my girlfriend in the front seat just went, 
Oh, like it, one of those that you can actually feel it go up through the shock. I like. know. Yeah, you're wondering. Yeah, damage definitely done. No, I can't yeah. find that article. I don't know how we got that in court, but that was just defence driving on the other side of the road, avoiding potholes. Text 0868104106. Lads, be careful out there. But as uh, Carlo Weather was saying, as Helen was saying, enjoy it. You know, enjoy it because <sighs> the heat is on. Glen Frey and the heat is on. I knew at the minute I'd mention a rise in dole payments. It's a headline in the sun. 15 euro dole rise to ease the cost of living crisis. I knew somebody would be critical of it. And while you're talking about the dole, Neil, why not also tell what everyone, tell everyone ev- everything else that they get besides dole, including rent allowance, fuel allowance, travel allowance, medical card and a hell of a lot more. Yeah, uh, all of the above, absolutely. But I think um, the general gist of your text is that uh, they're not entitled to it. I'm getting the impression that you feel that there are far too many freeloaders and spongers. There are both of those freeloaders and spongers, of course, who shouldn't be getting in and should be out working. But for the vast majority of people who do get social welfare payments, and remember, not all of it is just unemployment benefit. There are other people who need payments for different things, including disability. Uh, just try and live with the cost increase these days and see what it would be like. It's all very well for somebody going out to work and pulling good money. But if you're not, for whatever reason, then in the times that we live in, don't you think that people need assistance and help? Text 0868104106. Lots of calls, texts and emails after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Morning. Why can't we just enjoy the beautiful weather while we have it? I've noticed people trying to ram climate change and cancer risks down our throats because we have a nice few days for once. Leave us alone. We don't get it often enough to worry that much. Just an observation. Thank you for it. Um, morning. Swan beds have a little doggy bar outside. They have parasols, water and a little area for dogs to rehydrate if anyone is passing the area and needs to stop off. I was only passing, but I thought it was a gorgeous thing to do and I wanted to spread the word, especially when it's so warm. A little doggy bar at Swan Beds. Well done to them. Uh, and then for somebody who was criticising my forecast saying, would you ever get a grip with your 30 degrees? Somebody says um, you'll always find people who just want to lash out at you, particularly with regards to your weather forecasts. So thank you for that. I feel somewhat vindicated though because Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather when I asked him that question about 30 degrees in Cork not being uh, a temperature that we will reach in the next few days, he said hold on a second, you might and it could happen in North Cork. So over the next few days, I could well be proven right with a 30 or a 30.1 or a 30.2 in the likes of your Formoys or Mallows or Mitchellstown or maybe McCroom, anywhere away from the coast. North Cork, for instance. So watch this space uh, for details. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 Now jump back into them. A uh, lot of response to uh, the city and uh, carry on in the city yesterday with regards to, anti, as we call, anti-social behaviour, thuggery really, of various sorts, and I'll come back to those texts throughout the course of the morning. But we talked about pain yesterday, and one of the reasons that we did actually, because we spoke with a, a court girl who is um, overseas in Spain, would love to come home but can't come home, Alicia Marr, uh, because the cannabis that she's been prescribed for her chronic condition would cost her a thousand euro a month if she were to pay for it here, and it's a quarter of that price in Spain to manage her pain. She was on 30 tablets a day. Now she is taking zero pharmaceutical prescribed medication because she is taking medicinal cannabis. Um, And that's incredible because her pain has all but gone. 
pretty much and her life has completely turned around it's been an incredible transformation for her uh, and it got other people talking about their own conditions when it comes to chronic pain and I ran out of time yesterday so I want to do justice to people who were on hold amongst them Anne-Marie Anne-Marie good morning good morning Neil how are you debilitating and excruciating is how you describe that pain yes absolutely I have um, a form of inflammatory arthritis which causes the breakdown of joints and soft tissue in all over my body and it is a debilitating and pro- progressive so explain that pain is it that um, it's getting worse you said if it's progressive and it, it's just excruciatingly painful to even move about is it Yes, so one example I could give is if you fill the bath with hot water and you put a limb in and your immediate reaction is to pull out that limb because it's too hot, it's it's burning. Now imagine trying to hold that limb in, hold your hand in, hold your foot in and all you want to do is rip it out, but you can't. How do you tolerate it though? With great difficulty. (laughs) Um, I suppose the the key thing here is I need pharmaceuticals for disease management so I would need a whole host of medications to stop the inflammation because that level of inflammation is destructive to the body and that's where the deformity and disability comes in and then the other side is of the pharmaceuticals would be for symptom relief and pain management so I'm on oxycodone at the moment which probably most people know is an extremely strong um, painkiller. Wait a second, because oxycodone, f- correct me if I'm wrong, is is in the same pharma area as oxycontin, is it? Was it yes, you, exactly. Used that be called oxycontin? Yeah, so the, the brand name is oxycontin, which people have probably seen the kind of show on, I think it was Disney, about... Dope sick. No, it was on. Exactly, I think yeah. it was on maybe Netflix. Dope sick. Yeah, and yes. the oxycontin plague in America. Exactly, it's the same drug that I'm on right now. The same addictive levels um, what and all side is effects. So I'd be on twenty milligrams a day. They were making oxycontin so quickly in America because people were so addicted to it. They were making bigger tablets. They were they were oh, making the tablets. Yeah. In, I think they were well, they were making the tablet in an eighty five meg strength, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, so they've gone. They can go to crazy levels. Higher? And I suppose the one thing, yeah, they can go higher and higher. I suppose, and that that was the part of the problem that you would go back to your doctor and say, "I've been on this dose for a while, um, and now it's not working. I'm getting this term coined breakthrough pain," and they would give you more and more and more. Um, and that's where the difficulty comes in. Thankfully, it's it's much more, well, I say thankfully, it's about a pro and a con, is it's actually quite difficult to get this drug in Ireland as, okay. as the pain relief option. Yeah, for anybody who hasn't seen, yeah, anybody hasn't seen Dope Sick, it's worth watching to just see what, and it's all down to one word, of course, greed, absolute financial greed. But if yeah. you were to stop oxycodone now, would you have withdrawals? Yes, so it will be a very, very um, difficult one to come off in terms of withdrawals. Um, So it wouldn't be pleasant at all. And again, that's where cannabis would come in to replace it, really. Um, Are you using cannabis? Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, it is illegal. 
it is very difficult to source safely. It's very difficult to find a reliable product that's grown organically that you can trust. Um, and also you are feeding into criminal enterprise then as well with it. So do you have so a source that you use, a regular source? I wouldn't have a regular source, which is part of the problem that it is very hard to get on a regular basis um, and why it's not necessarily a viable substitute for me at the moment that I do have to continue with the oxycodone. Oh, I understand um, that, but you are using the the cannabis um, to try and manage the chronic excruciating pain alongside the, the prescribed medication. And yes. do you have difficulty sourcing it or hooking up with someone? I would, yes, to find, I think that's, the only negative I've ever had with cannabis is both the fear of prosecution and the anxiety surrounding sourcing the product. So when I have the the medicine, it's fantastic. I I can't even describe the relief it gives. Um, it's you just can't describe it to someone who's never experienced it. It just melts the pain away. The cannabis and allows me to be pre- yes, okay. and Do you allows smoke me it, to is be it? present. I use, so again, this is where a lot of kind of debate comes in. I use what's called a dry herb vaporizer, which uses the canvas flower or the bud and it vaporizes it so there's no combustion. You're not rolling it into to smoke it as such. Right. You're not mixing it with anything. It's pure and it's just the vapor. So you're not getting those negative side effects that combustion would have. But does that have to be bought, for want of a better term, on the street? Yes. We like, don't, we don't like walk the street looking for it though, do you? No, I suppose with technology now, it's easy to make a few phone calls and a friend of a friend of a friend would know somebody. Um, but essentially you are meeting a stranger on a, a street corner and um, getting something that you have no idea where it's from, what it is. Um, people can't tell you what it is most of the time. So you can imagine going into a pharmacy and you have a headache and the pharmacist puts a a plain box up on the counter and says, take this, with absolutely nothing on it to say what it is. You could be getting morphine, you could be getting paracetamol. You have no idea of of what you're getting. And that's in itself dangerous. Yeah, but how how would you be getting morphine if you thought you were getting cannabis? Sure, they don't look the same. No, sorry, what, what I'm trying to say is just the analogy of... Oh, you don't know what's in it. Ex- yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm looking for a particular strain or a particular hybrid, we'd say, and I want something that'll help my pain. And but what if, you just, what if you just smoked cannabis? So if you were to just smoke... So if you were to just get a, a little bag of cannabis and roll it up... It could be anything. So the effects could be anything. So it's like if you went to to a bar and you could have a glass of wine or you could have a, a shot of poutine, mm. Mm. Um, the effects will be completely different to you and completely different to your experience. So I could get something that would, for example, a sativa that would give me lots of energy but may give me increased anxiety okay. Okay. Yeah. and things like that, yeah. whereas I'd want an indica that induces that kind of sleepiness and pain relief. So you obviously feel as if, because of your pain, you've been turned into a criminal trying to manage it? Yes, 
And I would have never, through my teens and 20s, I would have been, if anything, anti-non-prescription drugs. I fell for the stigma and the stereotypes and never wanted anything to do with it. But in desperation, and that's what it is, you were talking about desperate people here in pain that the average person couldn't imagine dealing with um, for an hour, let alone for a lifetime. So in that desperation, I started to look for alternatives and someone had just said, have you seen everything going on in the States with cannabis and chronic pain? Yeah, yeah. And I said, do you know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. I felt absolutely awful going to, to source the cannabis. I felt like a criminal. I was terrified. My anxiety was through the roof. And I just, I was so desperate and I tried it and my life changed. So on a scale of one to ten pain, what did it reduce to? So if I had pain at a nine, it could bring it down to a three, for example. I'm sure who could blame you for following that course So doing what you do? And it just allows you to be present. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you're entitled to a good Yeah, you're entitled to a quality of life that's tolerable. Absolutely. And in this weather, just to be sit out to sit outside comfortably and be present and enjoy and I'm a mother as well, so I have children to to tend to and I I just have to be able to, to get up every morning and be present and be a mom. And so they don't see me in in pain and tears and being able to kick a ball around or anything, push them on a swing. That's what cannabis does. It, it allows me to so be you, present. So you also carry that worry that you're not the best parent you could be? Yes. I feel with adequate pain relief, I'm a better parent. Because with, without pain relief, you're, you're not even a functioning human being. You can't think straight, you can't care for yourself, you can't dress yourself. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So if you can't offer that to yourself, how can you offer that to, to your children? I know, and you carry that with you as well. What about uh, the prescribed um, cannabis prescription under m- ministerial licence? So with the MCAP programme, um, it's extremely restrictive. It, it only covers three very, very specific conditions. And unfortunately, chronic pain, which in itself is a huge umbrella term, um, it just doesn't cover it. So for me, for example, if I was to discuss this with my care team, one, I would be absolutely terrified that it would affect the care that they would provide. And especially when you're talking that I'm on the likes of these strong opioids that they may consider it as drug seeking or a drug user and may remove that from from my prescription. So they don't know, those that are prescribing you the oxycodone don't know that you're on cannabis? No. Okay. No. Okay. And I, I, I wouldn't bring it up for that reason. And even if I did, and best case scenario that they got on board and did apply to this MCAP, program I wouldn't qualify now there is the ministerial license component but even if I did jump through the hoops for that program um, and got my license and got my prescription I simply couldn't afford it it's a grand a month exactly I mean nobody has has that kind of cash lying about especially if if you're um, someone with a chronic illness or disability I can assure you nobody has that money to pay 
and the fact that you can get all these other very, very dangerous, addictive drugs on the medical card or drug payment scheme, but you can't get a natural herb, um, natural plant on yeah, it. Yeah, I know. They're still very vague and touchy-feely about it, aren't they? They're still as if they're caught in the headlines and don't know which way to turn. I mean, other countries have moved an awful lot faster than us. But they still exactly. they still need a lot more coaxing, don't they? But you have to language in chronic pain as a consequence. Yes, exactly, and that's what mm. they're doing. It's it's unethical, really. The fact that other patients in the country can access it, and I can't. You know, why why is my suffering not valid? I know. I know. What about all the people in my position? What about us? Which is was is the campaign at the moment? What about us? Yeah that are left in the dark and forgotten about and told to be quiet. Um, it's not good enough. It's all very and well to any, be told that by people who aren't in, as you described, debilitating and excruciating daily pain. It's easy for people to lecture you, but they, they're exactly, not walking in your shoes. Exactly. And I mean, I don't think anybody could, could look at a chronic pain patient and tell them how they should live their life or how they should get relief and function in society. Well said, well um, said, well said. I really don't. That's why I'm keen to talk to other people with stories like yours. Thanks so much, Anne-Marie. Look after yourself it. in any way you Thank can. You. Take Thank care. Text 086 Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, for those that have the medical card, of course, and it's a wonderful thing to have, but there's a texter here wondering, uh, is everybody who's getting it really entitled to it. Uh, medical cards are automatically given to people in receipt of domiciliary care allowance and to be in receipt of that you need to be permanently incapacitated mentally or physically. Of course you can get medical cards for other reasons than that but say when you're looking at it from a medical point of view to be in receipt you need to be permanently incapacitated mentally or physically and you get the medical card for that. The texter says, my son has a medical card. His health, thank God, is perfect, but he has an intellectual disability. He should not have a medical card. The system is broken in every way. When a person in chronic pain must fight for a medical card and they're giving them out like smarties to those that don't need it. At work, can't speak, but I think it's a valid point. Perhaps you'll get an opportunity to share. Absolutely. There are others then. I mean, I see text coming in already saying, you just uh, with regards to cannabis or the availability of cannabis, Jerry says, there's no bother whatsoever in Cork getting cannabis. It is widely available, easily obtained, and good quality. In fact, getting cannabis is easier than getting a prescription from a doctor. Uh, somebody took me to task then with regards to comments on CBD weed uh, being deadly. Uh, you are completely inaccurate. It doesn't get people high and it helps anxiety and other things too. It's helped me stop smoking proper weed. Before saying things on air, I get the facts right. Otherwise, this damages any chance of cannabis becoming legally, medicinally or otherwise. You said that you bought a bag of CBD and it was deadly stuff. Wrong. I assume you were referring to the fact that you bought a bag of spice, which isn't even close to CBD. One texter referred to CBD scams. And what they meant was that it's cheaper to buy than THC cannabis and easily obtained in shops. Anyway, the point being, therefore, it's far from deadly stuff. Indeed, quite the opposite. I think you're, I, I did say some of the things you said, but I was actually referencing a text from somebody who said, was making the point that when you buy weed on the street, you don't know what's in it. 
what the content of it is, how it's been laced or changed. But I accept what you're saying. Maybe I was a little bit vague and threw everything in, everything under the bus at the one time. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. So the Westlife gig's going to be a hot one on Saturday. And of course, we're giving away Westlife tickets right across the week. You never know. I probably will have a couple of tickets to snaffle and give away today or tomorrow. We'll see what happens there. You talk about the amount of money we spend in this country um, for necessary services, obviously. But a lot of the time, we just seem to give an awful lot away. I'll come back to the cost of, uh, you know... With regards to healthcare and the amount of money that's, uh, you know, when you break it down as to, you know, I know Vera Toomey are going to be talking in a moment uh, with regards to the amount of money that the state actually had to spend when it was all totaled up for the treatment of Ava. But got an interesting email that said, you know, you look at the things that we pay for in this country. Go Safe, a largely French-owned company, operate our road safety vans, uh, the Gatsos. Uh, they get paid hundreds of millions each year, whether or not they catch people speeding or not. The fines are just the extra cream on top of that. Uh, on a Sunday, they can generate €100,000 in fines um, on one day alone. Uh, emailer says, British companies own the rights to sell us our own gas and our own power. And these companies are posting record-breaking profits in the history of their company as people, of course, are afraid to turn on the lights or the heat in the winter. Yeah, they're, they're, they're right. Their profits are... Insane three monthly profits dwarfing the previous three months. Spanish company operate our toll roads and get this: as part of the contract with the Irish government, they get paid even if we don't use the toll. Emailer claims, as an example, that if they can tell that uh, the Irish government that three million cars will use the toll this year, we pay them for the three million. If only two million use it, they keep the extra revenue. Then you have British and Spain operating our driver theory test and other operational requirements within the Irish driving license sector. Why do we allow this to happen? We pay billions out, hand over fist, each year to other nations for services and essentials that should never have been taken out of state control in the first place. It's ridiculous. I wonder if a lot of that has to do with the fact that all of us are in the EU together and companies from France, as you're saying, or Britain at the time, or Spain, or areas like that can tender for contracts within the Irish state. But I was looking at the costs that, because uh, I was chatting yesterday morning on the air with regards to Elisha Mar, who can come back uh, from Spain because she uh, needs prescribed cannabis for her chronic pain. Um, and if she were here, it would cost her a grand a month. It's costing her somewhere in the region of 200 euro, maybe a little bit more a month in Spain. But it prompted a call from Vera Toomey out in Abolog. And of course, she's been very much in the media down through the years with regards to Ava, who suffers from a form of epilepsy called Dravet's syndrome. I believe Ava should be in and around 11 now. But I asked her to do a little exercise for me as to how much the traditional HSE costs would have been within the Irish health system for treating Ava over the years when you add it all up for all of the treatments that she needed, all of the times that she had to go into hospital, all of the medicines that she would have had. Uh, and uh, thankfully, Vera went away and did that and she joins me by phone. Vera, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you keeping? I'm well. And incidentally, how is Ava? She's she's really good and actually she's she's going to be 13 in November so she's a little bit older than what wow. you think. Wow, time yeah. is getting away yeah. from me girl, it's getting away from it's me. It's moving, it's moving on, yeah, yeah, good form, you know, it's, there's, you know, 
the, the condition doesn't go away. We have ups and downs, but uh, she's she's having a great run at the moment. Okay. Really, really good. And yeah. if you were to look at all of the traditional health care that Ava received mm. over like a five, the five or six year period, what do you, did you add it up? I did, and and in fact, that 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 document that I sent you, I had that I had that prepared, and I sent that to Stephen more than more than twelve months ago. Stephen Donnelly, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you added then, up that mm-hmm. over the between two thousand and ten and two thousand and sixteen, the total cost of Ava's treatment through the health system was how much? It topped three million. It was three million one hundred ninety nine thousand mm-hmm. euro. Yeah, and and I would what I would what I would say is that that figure is conservative because I I did I I did up those figures based on you know in in a very basic way with what what I could think of including hospital stays you know we would have talked about that before she would have spent you know let's say a hundred a hundred and twenty days a year inside in hospital. Um, the cost of the bed per night, the cost of the ambulances that were coming, the advanced paramedics, the resuscitation rooms, the consultants, the junior doctors, the nurses. God almighty. Blood tests, EEGs. Um, and, God you know, then you've got administration costs. You've got, you know, everything on top of that that I couldn't quantify. Okay, so, so I, I in, it certainly would be in and around half a million a year. Yeah, okay. it would be. Yeah. It would be. And I mean, the, the thing is that it, it was my understanding was that somebody came out and said that the, the cannabis was not cost effective. And I, I, I found that very offensive. Oh, yesterday, because, is it? Yeah. Well, I no, they, what, what I said was that the HSC have different boxes that need to be ticked. And one of them has to be, uh, well, obviously the... The, the the public's health has to be taken in because I understand that. But one of the points they made was cost effectiveness sure. and the impact well, on budget. Well, I mean, the impact on budget is substantial, but it's substantial in the savings. And if you consider that, you know, that figure is conservative and, and based on one individual. 3.2 million. Let's multiply that by how many people, not just epilepsy, but the, the chronic pain pe- patients, like that, that, that lady that spoke so well to you just a while ago. I mean, the savings, the idea that you can maintain your condition, um, that you can be productive, that you can have a quality of life and live a life at home without constant admissions. The removal of the amount of people that would be removed from the system who would be using the facilities on a regular basis yeah. across so many different conditions would be just, I think it would alleviate at, at least half of any trolley crisis that we witness every single year for God knows how long. You're saying you know? that prescribed cannabis would do all of that? It would. Without a shadow of a doubt, it would. And why you know? then, in all of your years, when you were campaigning and then getting the medicinal license, remember you were going over and back to Spain, you felt like a criminal and stuff. Why do you yes. think they're so slow and, and dragging their feet on it? I, I just think that um, the, 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 the pharmaceutical companies are huge. They have, they have. I think you were talking about the the oxycontin. That lady was talking. All of these. I mean, you've got to bring it down to business. 
every single person to these companies is a customer. Uh, you know, you have you have epilepsy customers, you have chronic pain customers. They're being prescribed pills. They're being prescribed medications. You know, repeatedly, they they don't want to let go of their their customers. But it's not really it's their. Business. But it's not really the pharma company's call, really, on it. It's the government's call, and ministers and a health minister. I mean, Absolutely. they can just make the like a texter did say the law will never they change. Can. You're wasting your time because of the money that the doctors and pharmacies and the giant pharmaceutical no. companies make. So, but you're not wasting your time. It's not going to be. It's not going to be easy. And they have the ability to lobby and, I mean, they can argue that they're bringing jobs, that they're creating employment, that they're bringing, they're, they're paying tax. Well, But doctors would be on the dole. Pharmacies would close. Pharmaceutical companies would no, go bankrupt. No, 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 they wouldn't. Because, sure, if, 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 the, if the medication is prescribed, the GP will be prescribing it. I mean, ideally, the GP should be involved in the prescribing of the medication, not just the consultant. It's just the change if there was a movement towards an inclusiveness of the cannabis alongside the other medications, like for example, I'm not anti-pharmaceutical medications if, for instance you know, pharmaceutical medications had kept Ava's seizures at bay and given her a quality of life, like for many thousands of epilepsy patients, they're on standard um, pharmaceutical medications and it works excellently for them, that would be grand but that doesn't work for everybody. Mm. And that's the same with the chronic pain. Mm. There may be people that will take their tablets and that they that they're you know, that they're functioning and that they're able to work and everything. But there are other people that aren't. And they have to be catered for as well. You know, it's not one or the other. Well, you can't you can't argue together. with Alicia Mar who's over in Spain, Cork girl in Spain. Uh, that's it's who, gone on too long. Who it's was gone on, on too long. Who was no, on thirty tablets a day. Yeah. And is yeah. now on none. I mean they have to bring Alicia home. Like it's it's too long. It's just it's just going on too long now and it just needs to be sorted out. That woman needs to come home with her husband and be able to be with her family. Lovely, lovely people. But she can't afford a thousand euro a month. Well, then the government has to step in and make the necessary arrangements. It isn't that complicated. It isn't that difficult for them to do it, you know? Why, if they could do it for Ava, should they not be able to do it for other people? That's what breaks my heart, Neil, when I heard that gentleman speaking about his wife yesterday and her suffering and the carry-on. And, you know, you're sitting there and you're listening to other people and you understand the suffering and you understand the lack of information. But if you can get a, med- a ministerial licence and it's prescri- mm. and you get a cannabis prescribed under ministerial licence, why isn't it covered on the medical card? Well, the thing is, um, the, the lady that was speaking there previously, kind of the line broke down here because somebody needs to come out and do something about the coverage for the phones <laughs> and have a look if they're listening. Um, but, <laughs> but, like... The, the Compassionate Access Programme doesn't have the chronic pain in it, right? Which is, which is ridiculous. So in, what in are the three conditions like, then? You have um, the multiple sclerosis, spasms associated with the multiple sclerosis. You've got, entrapped, or you've got the refractory drug-resistant epilepsy and you've got the side effects associated with the chemotherapy. Okay, so chemo, epilepsy pain, and multiple sclerosis, but not yeah. chronic pain. Why is that not left out? Pain. Well, I suppose there's, 
Look, I, I, I can't give you the answer for that, but what I can say is that in, I think it's in Denmark, and, I, and if I'm incorrect about that, somebody could correct me, but I think in Denmark the chronic pain is included, so why not here? You know, it's, it's, it, the, 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 the Compassionate Access Programme needs to be expanded for these conditions because, in fact, there is actually more evidence surrounding the benefits, more studies done, I should say, surrounding the benefits of cannabis to chronic pain than there ever is but why, about... Yeah, mm, why, why is it then that you, you, when I asked you, what's stopping them? Why are they so slow? Why is Ireland so slow and those that control <laughs> it in government? So you, you're saying it's because pharmaceuticals... But they, they, they have Not no fear of like, are, are they afraid that pharmaceutical companies will close up shop, uh, close their plants in Ireland and leave? Maybe they are. Maybe okay. they are. I don't know. I've never, I've never been given an answer to that. But there's a stigma attached to the, the cannabis still to an extent. Yeah. And there's an overlapping then between the medicinal cannabis and the use of recreational cannabis. And I do think that sometimes um, people that are um, resistant to medical cannabis use the the, the, the side effects from the recreational cannabis as a stick to beat us with. Yeah, okay, okay. But we're not... So it's still, unfortunately, it's still kind of tainted as a street drug. Uh, I, I I think there's a stigma. But look, I think that... We've we've broken down a lot of the barriers in the last, like, you know, I mean, you know, like in the say from when say from when we started, from when I started talking to you first in fifteen or sixteen, things have come a long way. If you said there that somebody said it'll never, it'll never work, we'll never get through it, we will get through it, we will get there, but it's torturous on the journey towards it, and there's so much unnecessary suffering of people that need it now. They they, 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 they they shouldn't have to wait for five years or six years or ten years for the the wheels to turn. You know, it it should be yeah. it should be happening sooner. But but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't ever say like give up because you can't give up because it's 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 such a magnificent and it also medicine. would as you said help the health system which is crippled at the moment with regards to trying to deal with outpatients and trying to deal with appointments and get people seen yeah. and save the state billions oh it would it would i mean i mean i when i when i did up that letter that time i was very conservative in the, the in the numbers that i was that i was putting together and when I did put it together, it, it, it was even shocking to myself, yeah, even having lived, having lived the life with it. But I did just want to say one thing. The, 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 the chronic pain, <clears throat> excuse me, I beg your pardon. You're right. The chronic pain isn't included under the Compassionate Access Programme, but you can still apply for an individual licence um, under the individual licensing system. So you can go to a consultant and say you want to apply for an individual license and they should be able to move forward with that for you. But a lot of the consultants are turning to people and saying, because the chronic pain isn't under the Compassionate Access Programme, I can't do anything with it. Well, Alicia but did get uh, a license did, yeah. by an Irish yeah. pain Base pain consultant. And that that was, was not a problem. That was my understanding. Was that on was on an individual license? She did get it on an individual yeah. base, but she can't afford it. Yeah. She can't afford it. She can't afford it. But two hundred euro in Spain. It's a thousand here a month. Yeah, and and uh, it's it, like it just needs it. That just needs to be resolved. Um, and 
I, yeah. I don't right. know. I, okay. I, I just, it's a fright to be, it's a fright to be still talking about it so many years later in the same vein, isn't it? You Absolutely. Know, what do you think? No, I do, 100%. And, and I have more calls on people dealing and living with pain. And of course, their lives have been controlled by people who aren't in pain. And, and I find that very yeah. hypocritical, I have to say. Yeah. Okay, listen, good to catch up, Vera. Stay in touch. Thanks for those stats. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cheers. Okay. So okay. she added up Bye-bye. all of the treatment that Ava received from 2010 to 2016. She says conservatively 3.2 million euro to the state when you break it down in regards to staffing costs, A&E, epilepsy nurses, ward sisters, on the wards, blood tests, A&E admissions, ambulance trips, GP visits, medicines, pharmaceutical prescriptions and what have you. 3.2 million and that's conservative. Uh, I just want to go to uh, the Netherlands if you don't mind. Nina should be on hold. Nina, good morning. Hello, good morning. How are you? Uh, good, good. I'm good today. Okay, tell me a little it's, bit about your backstory. Um, yes, I'm um, I'm suffering from uh, PTSD, uh, concretely complex PTSD, but uh, due to ongoing abuse in the past, and then uh, also with my ex-husband. Okay. 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 And uh, so I am doing the work, going to therapy, of course. Um, but uh, I have uh, problems with insomnia uh, since uh, don't cannot remember when. Mm-hmm. And they put me on um, several different uh, medications, and none, none, absolutely none of them worked. And uh, yeah, they only gave me the side effects. So it only made everything worse because I also have uh, nightmares when I do sleep. Um, and yes, they they are very difficult to manage. So the nightmares, the nightmares, the nightmares. Is it the same nightmare yeah. over and over? Is it the same one? Yeah. Yes, it's the the same same context. It's all over again. So and I is it back, know. Is the nightmare back to uh, the the abuse you suffered? Yes. Oh, yes. And you don't uh, even the have problem safety is, and sleep. Uh, sorry. You don't even have safety and sleep. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because when I do sleep and when I get this, this nightmare, it's all like I was there all over again and then I wake up and then I have to think that I am not there yet. I am here, I am safe, but it's it's difficult because you can say to you, to yourself that, but, uh, but it's uh, difficult to go through the day then. And, um, you must be afraid to go to sleep though. Yes. Never mind go through yes. the day. Yes, I am. Uh, and I remember when I was still a child, I, I didn't want to to fall asleep. I I I made myself. I mean, to to stay awake for the entire night a couple of times because oh, I was no. so afraid of my dreams. I know. You know, with the PTSD, is it only prescription medication you're on for that? Are you getting any other help in in any other way? I mean, I'm taking one uh, medication for uh, during the day, but I also take CBD in pills because here you can buy them in uh, 
uh, regular supermarkets. And uh, I do um, I do take uh, weeds, THC, uh, because this is the only thing that helps me fall asleep, to stay asleep, and to block my nightmares. Oh, and well. I also very effective, is it? Yes, yes, and it's the only only thing that helps. So you sm- would you smoke some cannabis before you go to sleep? Yes, that's that's my uh, that's my routine. Otherwise, I, I cannot sleep. And you'd have, you, of course, in the Netherlands, you have no problem sourcing any of that. Exactly. Yes, it's uh, because it's uh, legal. It yeah. It, I'm I'm lucky because of that, I guess. But uh, but I think that uh, I mean we we are still other. Well, we are still way back regarding this, regarding uh, cannabis use, because it technically, I mean, it's okay, it's a drug, but it's not a drug like alcohol is, because you cannot die on weed, you cannot overdose on yeah, weed. What you're saying, it's, not everybody would agree with it, is that you're saying that marijuana won't kill you. Yeah, no, it 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 won't. There, yeah, I. Yeah. You see, the stig- one of the stigmas in Ireland is that no, it may not, but it may lead you to other very more dangerous drugs that will kill you. No, no, no I believe I alcohol does that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, not 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 weed. I do not even think about going to to other dr- because they only take it to to manage my my life basically I understand and 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 that's why you know from a personal point of view I I would have no, not that anybody wants my opinion but I would have I, it's none of my business what you do to get a good night's sleep or to go through yes. your day without pain or go through your day without terror for god's sake you yes. shouldn't have any of those things in your life you know yes i and agree you should be able to do agree. whatever you want to do to stop that happening to you Yes, definitely, because we are not we are not harming other people. Yeah, we with that. We, did you ever get any psychotherapy not. for the PTSD? Did you ever think of? Did you do any cognitive behavioral therapy or anything like uh, that? Yes, I am actually doing EMDR right now. Um, EMDR is a therapy for uh, PTSD. Isn't that eye movement? Isn't yes. It? Yeah. Yes, exactly. But did you? Um, but when you were just being prescribed for PTSD, was it antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, and things like that? Yeah, they tr- they try to. I mean, they prescribed me some antidepressants, but they had very strong side effects, and uh, they affected my sleep again. Um, so then I said that uh, I would because they were so strong side effects that I just couldn't handle them anymore. So I discussed with my doctor and she agreed because sleep currently for me, it's, uh, it's uh, very important. Of course it is. You can't live your life if you yeah. don't sleep properly. So you're going like, like a zombie, half dead and day. Yes, exactly. It was like that uh, a few years ago. I I couldn't uh, function during the day. I was basically sleeping at work and everywhere. I I couldn't do anything because I slept for 
four hours per night. And uh, I know, I know. And and in the Netherlands, it, when cannabis was legalized, um, did it have any negative effects? Really, did it open the floodgates for uh, you know any any? Um, did it, did, for instance, what did it do with regards to? Uh, cleaning out dealers and cleaning out vice and, you know, making place safer and things. Yes, that was exact, uh, actually an intent uh, to, to cut stop. down and to, to eliminate yes. criminality. And did it? Yes. Yes, it did. It did. What did the With, criminals you know, I, turn to then after that? Uh, yes, they, there is still a problem uh, with, uh, with cocaine because it arrives through ports and they are currently having problems with uh, that. Um, so what but, happened was uh, that the criminals then turned to heroin and to cocaine and uh, the illegal supply of pharmaceutical, everything else. Yes, yes. But still criminal, crime went down Um regarding drugs and it went down there there was a significant improvement yes and i believe that uh, that's smart because here you can go to a coffee shop and uh, buy weed so you do not have to ask strangers on the street and expose yourself to dangerous situations and uh, and it's it's a basically a win win yeah yeah and and I know that um, of course pharmaceutical companies they they do not want that because they cannot uh, profit on it and that's the that's the problem. The I think that people countries they need to see this that uh, pharmaceuticals they they always want to to gain more profit. It's never enough for them, of course. And uh, they just, I think that uh, they just need to stand up somehow. There should be an initiative. They should, they should uh, perhaps collect scientists so that they would prove what are positive effects of cannabis yes. and what are positive effects of legalizing it. Yes, and it's not, and not, and not just for, um, say, chronic pain or, you know, multiple sclerosis treatment or epilepsy or, you know, the, you know, managing pain associated and side effects of chemotherapy, but just in your case, yes. PTSD, insomnia and getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. Good for, yes. you. Good for you. Good for you. Yes. Nina, good, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the call. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, over in the Netherlands. Much obliged. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. On people then who uh, got into all sorts of issues online with people who didn't turn out to be who they claimed to be. A lot of texts on that. Anybody stupid enough to send pics to someone they never met deserves to be conned, says one person. Another one. Uh, there, that's That lady on the air, well, I don't know which one, but a caller yesterday is so right. That's the norm on all dating sites. It is just soul-destroying now trying to date or to try and find someone, certainly in an, maybe even in a physical setting of mind online. Yeah, you must be so thick to literally say that you'd go on a date with someone without knowing even their second name. Um, and one or two more. Um, tell women that men want thin women who look after themselves and who are petite. If we must be tall, they can't be heavy. That makes no sense. I mean, what, what are you saying? That men... 
You say, tell women that men want thin women to look after themselves and who are petite. If we must be tall, then we can't be heavy. Makes no sense to me. Height means nothing. Have you ever heard the phrase, small jockey, big whip, says Billy? <laughs> I have heard that phrase. Richie says, maybe people should stop being so in, so naive in the world we live in now. Do people take any responsibility for their actions? Word of advice, ladies, stop sending pictures of your tuppences to random strangers on the internet. As regard that dastardly man who exaggerated his height, he said he was six foot two and turned out to be five foot one. Well, women wear heels, women wear makeup, women dye their hair, women lie about their weight, women lie about their age. Yet this wee man is being painted as a pint-sized predator because he lied about his height. Get real, says Richie. Uh, Jimmy says height, as in women go for taller men, height doesn't matter. Anyone can climb a fallen tree. <laughs> I love these old sayings. Anyone can climb a fallen tree. Small jockey, big whip. whip. Uh, one more. That guy should find out where her husband is and tell him he deserves to know she's some piece of work. Oh, that was yesterday's conversation with Calvin, who had numerous dates and weekends away and a week's holiday with a woman who turned out all along to having to have been married. So text 0868104106, pick up the phone on 0818104106 and we'll come back to it throughout the course of the morning. A uh, lot from yesterday on the on the streets of Cork. Um, I just wanted to on that. I was in the city centre yesterday, so this would have been on Tuesday for the first time in a few months and I thought it was, and it was it thought it was such a beautiful day. Uh, but I wasn't impressed at all with the city. First of all, Oliver Plunkett Street there was an elderly lady sitting down on the footpath getting attention from an ambulance crew with a couple of guards there as well. But to my disgust, there was a fellow there with a camera taking pictures of the unfortunate lady. I did see a guard approach him when he saw what he was doing. The things the guards have to put up with. On Patrick Street, I saw a homeless person urinating in a, in a vacant doorway. And I must say, the smell of urine at different points along the street was absolutely shocking too. And it's the main street of our city. It wouldn't entice a person to return at all. And I wonder, what do our visitors think? Well, you'll recall what your man from CNN said some months ago. Texter brought that up actually as to say, remember the guy from CNN? He was 100% correct. As a proud Corkman, I'm sad to say Cork City is in a very poor condition. Well, it will be in a poor condition if you have idiots and thugs tearing out the planter boxes and ripping out the shrubs and flowers. Anyway, Texter says, you keep mentioning Oliver Plunkett Street as being the jewel in the crown. I walked down there on Sunday and we commented how pitiful it looks. Liam Rochelle's on one corner, Paul O'Connor's on the other, both closed, both looking extremely run down, not to mention the homeless and the scumbags. It's a place that I wouldn't want my kids to go into. Don't know when you were last in, you say, I don't know when you were last in there, but hasn't there something been done with Liam Rochelle's? Isn't it? I'm going in there this afternoon and have another look. Just one point in a conversation, say, for instance, about the city centre. If we had more people living above the shop, uh, a lot of the premises are old, I know. You mightn't get planning without a fire escape, so some might say it's an on-runner. But wouldn't it reinvigorate invigorate the city if people were? I, I agree, if more were living within the city. Uh, Cork is tired, Neil, and looks fairly run down. I blame the council for an awful lot of it. Cars aren't welcome in the city. Council will hound businesses for rates, but they allow all these derelict building owners to get away with it. Uh, what a joke calling an area the Victorian Quarter. Couldn't we come up with a more modern name or the name of an Irish hero as an example? I could go on and on. Go up Oliver Plunkett Street at night. I bet you don't. 
and see how many of the lovely lights they put on the footpaths a number of years ago that are still even working. Uh, Ireland, not just Cork, is great at doing things, but doesn't follow up in maintenance. I worked on the North Main Street for years. It was a great street. Now it's just a disgrace. And the open businesses are being left down constantly by the council. Give anything that works to politicians and they will soon break it. Uh, there's just a selection of texts with regards to the city and the carry-on in town. And that came from yesterday. We were chatting about uh, somebody deciding to rip out all of the planter boxes and the shrubs. Um, just one final one, actually. Uh, again, on the state. It's, I'm a very proud Cork man and always will be. Having said that, I don't go into town. I don't go into town anymore unless I really need to. Used to be the case where you'd see the odd junkie alone. Now they hang around in gangs since all of the lockdowns. They had the run of the city uh, and haven't gone away. Our beautiful city has gone to pot. I've been working in the city for years, and I wouldn't go into town at night if I had to. I wouldn't be walking around as we used to be able to do. I think the use of the term junkie is very unfair on people with addiction problems. But uh, I was in town last week and I saw a couple a young man and a young woman uh, that I hadn't seen them before. I think in the in the summertime, a lot more people who need help or homeless people come into uh, Cork City during the summer. But they'd found their own place on Patrick Street. And to me, it looks as if they had their whole life in a doorway there. Literally, they had their sleeping bags and he had a rucksack and she had a rucksack and everything was very neatly and, you know, packed away. And, you know, it looks as if their entire life was in that rucksack in that doorway on Patrick Street and there would have been no more than say 26, 27, 28 years of age anyway your text on that are welcome text 0868104106 Jim good morning Neil how are you boy good I was just chatting earlier on about changes within the IRFU the FAI are reviewing as well and so are the Ladies Gaelic Football Association trans involvement in sport you're, you're aware of that change aren't you? they're they're saying within yeah, yeah. Like they're, yeah. rugby the IRFU has banned trans girls who would have been born male, transitioned to female to play in female rugby? Like, we're, we're, we're all on about inclusiveness. It's very important, right? It doesn't all deny that through, through with all of us. But you have to be fair as well. And, you know, you have to be fair to the young ladies, um, especially, you know, we just pick on the rugby. They know they're just doing well in the rugby. And women's sports is really just taking off nowhere. It's being recognised, you know, as a, an interesting sport. And, and it is. It always was. But no, we have the trans and the LBG crowd trying to get up on the bandwagon. Now, why do you use the word crowd? Is, crowd is dismissive, the word crowd. Well, in what, in what way? Uh, that crowd, like. That crowd. Well, no, hang on a second. No, I'll apologise for my words, no, because right? I can't win this argument no matter what No, I'm not going to argue with you. I would just uh, pull up on the LGBT yeah. crowd, you know. Okay, I'm, I'm not attacking any LBG person whatsoever okay. on this issue, right? Because okay. you can't win it anyway because they've been out there militant. I, I am a bit more all in pieces, right? That's what they do. And that's what they're going to do here with the trans. They're going to bring in the LGB military wing. They'll be out protesting outside. My point is, you can't have a women's rugby team and then bring on the trans man into it, right? It's not fair on the ladies. It's, it's also awkward in the dressing rooms. It's awkward in the bathrooms, you know? Um, there are loads of sports that LGB and, and the trans can go into, especially the trans. We say if they want to play rugby, they can do tag rugby. I think there's a team playing there called Cork Hellhounds in the tag. Yeah, Nike Cork Hellhounds rugby, rugby Football Club have come out very, very disturbed about this policy change. Um, they're saying uh, 
have it in front of them. They are an LGBT inclusive rugby club. The Cork Hellhounds are yeah. dismayed and disappointed at the announcement by the IRFU regarding their policy changes on trans players. What it would mean is that somebody that would be gender born male, right, yeah. who transitions to female, becomes a trans yeah. person, would then be allowed, uh, would not be now be allowed to play women's rugby because they were born male. Well, I think the problem is if you have a 16-stone man who decides he you now wants to wear a dress and go playing rugby. And by the way, you can wear shorts playing rugby, so he can go over to the J1s or J2s, right? But if you, he comes up against a girl who's eight stone who's, and he, he busts her shoulder, like, is it a rugby tattle or is it an assault? If, you do, if he done that in a marriage, he gets seven years. Mm. And you're telling me that we're allowing a guy who now wants to be a woman and find that's his own, off you go, boy. But don't go up against the little girls, leave them alone. Mm. Mm. there's loads of sports I mean the cock hellhounds they're down below there he can join them there you are because he still plays rugby at a, and at a very high level so what, it, what is it is it the safety and welfare of female gender born players you're talking about here or is Absolutely. it sharing dressing rooms or, or men who want to be women which all of the above I mean I, I listen, it's a 16 year old girl now right and you have and she's in the dressing room, and you have a trans man who's 18 or whatever, right? I mean, as a parent or a grandparent, I don't want no male or ex-male in the dressing room. No, the trans man should have the respect, instead of forcing his way into the girls' rooms, if the girls aren't strong enough to get him out, have to have the respect not to go in there. Okay. The world but would it, allow, would it allow a trans person who was biologically born male, who transitioned to female, who still had male genitalia, to walk around the dressing room naked. Neil will shut, but Neil, you know the crack. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a bloody duck. I mean, how stupid are people? Look, and rugby's a very short term. It's a five-year spread, maybe for most of these people, me eight years in, in, in good rugby, right? Like, go in, go to a sport. You can play the tag. You can play other rugby sports. You can play loads of sports. You can do golf as trans. This is only a militant arm of the LGB trying to cause trouble. In all these clubs. There's big That's issues within this within swimming, isn't there? Where um, men who transitioned to female right. were winning were winning gold, in America they were yeah. winning gold medals, and and the other swimmers, fem- born female, were very angry about that. In fact, in one case, they refused they refused to stand on the medal medal podium podium along with him that became her. That's right, and uh, and, look, and these are the women in America standing up for this. They know they know it's wrong. You know, we're all scared to say wrong because. You, you, you know, the minute you say wrong, they're up against you, you know? No, you go to New Zealand and the rugby outside, right? And the way they do it, they do it with the weights, you know, if you're 5 foot 11 and you're 15 stone, you're coming through, you play with the bigger boys, right? Like, if we do get to the point where trans men are going to be allowed to play with the women, then we have to change how we look at the rugby rules on weight and size. Because there's no way... I, I, if I was a younger man and I saw a 16 stone man over on the pitch knocking my girlfriend over... He wouldn't be getting out the bloody gate at Robbie Club. Well, that's another story entirely. The IRFU have said that it has to do with strength, stamina and physique because of male puberty. And that... uh, And you know, we're all... So so are are they saying that it's a safety aspect or a fairness aspect? Which? It's definitely... Well, if if I say safety, you can turn around and say, ah, yeah, but those girls are 16 stone. They'll do the same damage. But I can show you, I don't know, did you watch watch Robbie because you're young for the you yeah. you can see guys coming up the pitch, right? They're travelling at 40 k's an hour and they're coming to hit you, right? 
They're not coming to hug you. They're coming to knock you back on your ass. All right? You watch the knock games. Now you put a slim eight stone girl who loves the rugby and she gets a smack of that. Do you think that's fair? But what about somebody who's well, what about somebody who's born female and transitions to male? Will that gender born female who's now a trans man be allowed to play in men's rugby? I, I presume the rule will have to stay the same for both. Maybe we're just too early with this, Neil. Maybe we need another 100 years to get over it. I don't know. But at, as it is at the moment, first of all, the facilities aren't there. We've, we, you go to the soccer clubs, just said bloody undressing on the streets. Right? I mean, we haven't got the bathrooms. We haven't got the shower. Do you, so do you think we're moving too quickly to help and be inclusive too, to all people? We're moving way too fast and we're moving too fast with the wrong people. The militant arm or the LGB and the trans are the wrong people to push this forward. They've what? only one agenda, and that's to destroy everything in front of them. What do you mean, destroy everything in front of them? If you have people struggling with their gender identity, are, are you saying they're not entitled to transition? Well, they, they, it is amazing. When, when, they, when they shut the club down, they'll have no problem. Then their gender is fine. They'll destroy us in front of them. It's like the thing with the cake up and all that time. They shut the cake shop down because a man had a view. He wasn't entitled to his view, but the LGB crowd was. Now, we shouldn't be getting into the LGB argument here. But, look, I, I've, I've gay friends. I've, I was out last Thursday week in a gay club. I grew a crack out there. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but, but the people I hang around with wouldn't carry on like this. Uh, but but proud, maybe, maybe you don't have an issue with the lesbian or the gay or the bisexual uh, section of society. But when it comes to the trans, where they literally well, I, no longer want to be identified as the sex they were born with. For many people, I think that's a, that's a problem, particularly older generations. They can't get their head around it. Um, but but maybe it's not their problem to get their head around in the first place. And we should just stand back and say, okay, I don't understand it 100% because I'm not going through it. But if people are, we should help them. But sure, listen, Neil, you're, you're, you're telling me, you know, well, what, look what we're doing. We're leaving the fox into the chicken coop. I mean, you're telling me that every trans man that's going to be playing in a girls group is 100% normal, nothing wrong with them. All of a sudden, we're giving them a clean bill of health. I could... I, I, I know Robbie players, they have no problem putting on a dress, they'll go playing with the women. I know we have to think forward, Neil, if something goes wrong in a rook, and one of the girls accuse this transgender man of anything, that's another issue. That's no criminal act. I mean, are they willing for that? This is why guys don't play with women on pictures, Neil. Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's, their, it's their space. Leave them alone. Yeah. It's just it's just out of getting so enjoyable to watch women's soccer. Fantastic. Women rugby, brilliant. It's just out of peaking where it's fantastic. The girls are so good, so enjoyable, and so committed. You see it with the Camogie there. You see what they're doing in the Camogie there last week. The Kenny and the Coco. Fantastic. I know we have a section of our community that wants to go in and... Yeah, we're here. Come on. If they had any decency... What, was a, what, would I say, what would you say if a set of texter says that you're ignorant? Well, I'd sure take it on board, but it, I'd still protect my grandchildren and I wouldn't take any chances. The same as I wouldn't leave a stranger talk, talk to my kids. I, I, it's all about protecting our, our kids and our family. And let, let, but I, you, no, but you're, you're, you're making a point, oh, you wouldn't be letting the fox into the chicken coop, like as if people who are trans have ulterior motives. But some of them will. Yeah, there'll be guys pretend that they're trans and they'll go in there. Are you telling me that's not going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you. I can tell you, Will. But how do you and know? Well, Neil, uh, listen, I'm old enough and I'm just kind of long enough to know 
that if you leave if you leave things open long enough, the wrong people get in there, okay. and that includes politics. Okay, I'd be interested. To get other, I'd, lo- I'd love to get a reaction to your to my conversation with you from other people who are listening. Maybe they'd like to get okay. involved in the conversation. That's let's see what they have to I'm say. I'm going to be destroyed. So I, you, as I said, you can't win this. Okay, well let, let's find and out. I'm only here to protect the kids and the girls. Okay, well, but but not to help those who feel that they they want to be able to express themselves in whatever way they will win, wish to in whatever gender, like whatever whatever way you do, like. There's no going back from this, really. You know. No, no, no. So no, we have no, to try and navigate through it, where, that it so that it's helpful. Just, so what? You know what we'll do now? In two or three years' time, we'll have a we'll have a situation where something will go wrong in the club, and we'll we'll listen to the conversation I had here, and I guarantee you, it'll be a legal thing. It'll be in court. It'll be clubs shutting down. But maybe we're just not ready for it, Neil. And if you were trans and you want to play a sport. You can go off down to the to Cockhill Hounds. They're a fantastic team. Okay, so but it, it well, is Robbie. Okay. It is Robbie. They're brilliant. Okay. And they're a brilliant bunch of lads. And, brilliant. Yeah, but they're very upset and far be it for me to put words yeah, into them. Dismayed and disappointed at the announcement by the IRFU regarding trans players. This is the Cork Hellhounds RFC. Might might ask yeah. them to, 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 to elaborate on their dismay and disappointment. Another one here. Jim is ignorant. I have a son at 11 years of age who was transitioning. Transitioning. It's disgusting. Get him off the radio. What would your response to that? Was it, like this is an 11 year old? It, I mean, there's talk in the UK at the moment that is somebody that young or younger thinking about transitioning. Is that dangerous because they are so young? It's very dangerous. I watched there last night on Facebook some woman in America. She oh. has a fun grown son doing it, right? And she has him in a dress and she's going through all the women's stuff, right? And he might be going through that way. But this woman was only pushing her own agenda. And I said it to her, you know, she's fishing and she'll regret that. Leave the child grow up to be an adult. Leave the child go through puberty. He might no, 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 no. I'm not him. talking about this American woman who's pushing her son into yeah. a dress. I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. This is where a child feels trapped in the wrong gender. Not, not well, the yeah, mother pushing the agenda. The actual child feels that way. But there's no one trapped in the wrong gender. You know, if, if, you feel, if you feel you're a girl, you're a girl. But it doesn't mean that, that you have to... But you, listen, you're only, you're only trapped from the, from the nose up. From the, from the, the rest of your body's male. Like, get over it. Okay, okay. I don't time want to win, for now. I can't win. Okay, can't win I'll, I'll come back to it after 11. Do get involved, lads. Text 0868104106. Better still, come on the air. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show Okay, see a lot of text coming in there in response to the changes within the IRFU and the papers this morning were also showing that uh, the Football Association of Ireland and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association have also confirmed that they too are reviewing their policies on transgender participants Now, in my conversation with Jim before 11 on a number of occasions he mentioned Cork Hellhounds Rugby uh, Club and I also read out parts of a statement that they issued with regards to the IRFU's decision uh, regarding uh, things that they will and will not allow when it comes to transgender players but I thought it'd be better just to chat with them because they describe it as they're dismayed and disappointed at the change in policy uh, Scott de Butler is Vice President Scott joins me by phone Scott good morning Good morning, how are you? I'm good. Can you, so, so firstly, what do Cork Hellhounds do? 
so we are an LGBT inclusive rugby club that was established back in 2020. So we have a men's contact rugby team and then we also have a mixed gender uh, team as well for the sake of tag rugby as well. Um, so in the sense that it is uh, LGBT in- inclusive, you know, we're part of both obviously the LGBT community within Cork and the wider region. Um, but you know, at the same time, we're also uh, ratified as, as part of Munster Rugby. Okay. So, so we, you know, we're, we're a rugby club in the same other uh, sense as any other rugby club as well in the province. Okay, so mixed gender, how, how does that work? For mixed gender, that's specifically for uh, tag rugby. So um, obviously, like rugby, for as much as it is an inclusive and fairly diverse sport at, at, at its core, um, you know, when it comes to contact rugby, which is obviously the the version of the game that everybody is quite familiar with, um, that is a gendered sport in the sense of there is going to be just men's team and uh, okay. and women's team depending okay. on, on the availability of the club. Okay, but the mixed gender will be different then. That's tag, where That's there wouldn't be, yeah, there, w- there yeah. wouldn't be as physical. There wouldn't be any rocks or scrums or things like that. No, not a, no, not at all. So yeah. with tag rugby, it's something that uh, people who are involved with the sport, or even people who just put, uh, casually play during the summer months, uh, yeah. they would they would take uh, part, and it usually involves like say uh, a velcro tag that you'd have beside your your uh, shorts, and it's gotcha. being tackled yeah. or being hit. Yeah. That's so, that's what happens. So, so you're, it's, it's a more casual version of the sport. Okay. So your understanding of what the IRFU have now decided and based on um, just quoting them they say that recent reviews and research show evidence that there are physical differences between those people whose sex was assigned as male and those female at birth what that means born male or born female Mm. so for the male born male would have advantages in strength stamina and physique right and on that basis they have restricted the movement of the of the of the genders from sport to sport. Um, do you disagree with that? It's a little bit of a mis- misnomer, not in the sense that I would fully disagree with how it's it's phrased like that. But the what it doesn't take into account is uh, each individual each individual transgender person's own transition. So what I mean by that is it's going to be a very different situation if um, you know a trans woman started their transition from male to female and started hormone therapy and the likes at the age of, for example, thirty five or forty. Um, you know, having lived as a man and obviously having certain you know strength and, and hormones. For all because they're 40 and years and 35 years on the planet. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. In, com- in comparison to, say, somebody who is starting transition at 18 or 20 and therefore would have a lot more time for their body to, to adapt to, you know, estrogen and, and the, you know, the rest of the hormones yeah. that would be involved. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, that, you know, there'd be different, uh, either unique or individual physical changes that would take place. So for such a, a wide sweeping band to, to be put on transgender women to be, uh, not to be able to play contact rugby at all, it's a little bit of, of a misnomer to, say that it's based on, on you know, uh, recent research. Also, what's quite interesting is that uh, for all of the international gay rugby um, teams and, and the organisation overall, so just for a bit of context sake, we know we're, we're part of Munster Rugby and the IRFU by extension, but we're also members as core cowhands of international gay rugby. And they've also said that they haven't been told of either given any consultation process at all with uh, either World Rugby or the uh, Rugby Fo- Football Union in England. And then similarly with the IRFU they haven't been in touch with uh, IGR um, for even a consultation in terms of okay. um, LGBT inclusive clubs. So we're not even aware of like the exact uh, research that's but, actually being described but here. What about from the aspect of fairness to female players, born female, playing female? Mm-hmm. 
Is it fair? I think in terms of, I think in terms of fairness, again, it's a misnomer to, to reduce to that. Like when, you, when you're talking on a practical level, we're talking about no more than two people in the Republic of Ireland that are actually being affected by, by this on, in terms of playing full-time rugby. So on a practical level, there's very, very few people that are involved. So the fairness option, it's a little bit reductive to, to say that because there's very few people involved and it's, it's also placing a, a question of uh, safety um, you know, on, on female players where there's not necessarily that much of a threat. Again, it also... But, but it, but it could be if you had a 17 or 18-year-old uh, trans woman, born male, trans to a woman who's 16 or 17 stone. Mm. Wouldn't you? But, but you, you, you could easily have, have somebody who's, who's 12 stone. So in other words, that it's, you know, it, it doesn't make sense that it's such a broad-speaking statement. In comparison to the previous um, uh, the position or the, the policy that was actually based on the levels of testosterone in, in that person's um, blood in, in their system at the time. So even though that was still somewhat invasive, it was a little bit more fair because it allowed for individual uh, conditions or, or changes in their, in their body, whereas this is a lot more broad sweeping. So it's, it's unusual considering the, the previous stance from the IRFU and obviously other um, rugby organisations internationally as well, was actually it was somewhat more invasive, but it was actually a little bit more fair because it was catering to each individual's own situation. But but the RFU do talk about strength and physique, though, as one of the reasons why they are banning it. I mean, Jim actually on the air just before 11 also made the point of dressing room etiquette and what have you. Do you have any thoughts on that? Not necessarily, but you know, for example, um, on the on the men's contact team that we have, we have two uh, trans male. Uh, players. Uh, so we have two people who are, are female to male, uh, one of which is, is a bit more of a regular player, the other is kind of occasional. But in, in that situation with us, it was a case of, um, you know, the, the coach would be aware and at certain points during the, the uh, one particular person's transition from female to male, uh, we would let the, the opposing uh, team know of the situation when we were playing uh, games. And at the end of the day, then it didn't make a bit of difference. Um, so, uh, you well, know, no, I'm just, you, I'm just saying, he was making the point on with regards to, say, dressing rooms or, or showering or biologically I, I born women with a man who is now a trans woman. Do, do, do they again, find it I, disturbing in any way? I, 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 don't, I don't think they do. And I, I think, again, it, it brings down to a bit of a reductive issue of trans, trans issues being just nothing more than, you know, what takes place in a dressing room or a toilet. I, I think at, at the end of the day, transgender people just want to be able to live their lives. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's a case oh, of... Listen, I understand, one, I personally understand that 100%, but I'm just looking at potential mm. pitfalls or problems for, 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 for everyone in society to adapt. Yeah, and in that regard, I'd, I'd say it's, it's more a case of once once people are actually in that situation, they'd be, they'd be a, a lot more um, understanding of the person once they, they're aware of the person. You know, and I used the example of the, the trans man who's, who's part of our um, men's contact team um, in, in the sense of it's somebody that we actually know as opposed to this, um, you know, this imaginary situation which, where I think a lot of the uh, debate and conversations that people will have on, on trans issues are usually to do with a, a kind of high hypothetical situation of, of a very a very manly looking trans woman walking into a, a bathroom or a changing room and I think if actually once people do, do know a person uh, in that situation then the, uh, the threat is, or the, the idea of threat is instantly removed. Mm, not if some of those players say they're not comfortable with him or her. Well, again, if, if we're keeping it on, on a practical level uh, there's only two, two players in that actual position currently in Irish rugby. 
So, uh, you know, I obviously I, I can't speak to those two particular people. I don't know them personally yeah. and I don't know what, what experience that they've had. But I would, I would hope and be a little bit more optimistic in the, uh, I guess, in, in the opinions of, of the Irish uh, rugby community that they wouldn't actually have a problem with them. But of course, you know, that, that's, that's more of a, of a hope rather than a fact. I, I don't know whether you wish to comment on an article you may or may not have seen at the weekend with regards to girl guiding, the girl guides now with more and more parents either saying they're not putting their children into brownies because um, the girl guides in the UK are very, very inclusive of trans children and trans mm. uh, people and indeed trans guide uh, volunteers. Uh, and, and parents are saying, this just is not for me anymore. I'm not comfortable with it. In, in that case, that's very, very sad to hear. I mean, and now, to, to confirm, I haven't uh, heard about that okay. at all. And well, I'm, 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 just, I'm just an example with regards to uh, the insufficient safeguarding controls, for example, to stop biologically male children sharing tents and showers with girls like their daughters when they go away on camp. Things like that. These are the practicalities that need to be addressed. I'd say on a, on a practical level, it's still it's, it's been quite reductive, if not scaremongering, because you know if you're talking about about children that um, have been born in, in or as as one particular gender or sex, and they feel they are actually part of the other, um, and obviously depending on the size or not size, but the age of, of the child, um, they'll be discovering their the gender and their sexuality at different at different stages. Yeah. So there's there's nothing to stop a, a cisgender and, and just to be to be fair, as in somebody who was born in a sex and still identifies with that sex, um, to to be in, in the girl guides and to you know identify that they were gay. I, I myself was was in the scouts and I remember being in, on camping sites at you know ten or eleven and obviously nothing was necessarily taking place, but I was definitely aware of of being a little bit different. So there's no difference really there when it comes to sexuality. So again, you know, articles like that I think are very very reductive and just lead. They, they may be, but they're quotes of real parents, though, who, who've made submissions to girl guides and the reasons why they either are taking their girls out or parents who are saying, says, my daughter is looking forward to becoming a guide when she is 10, but as it stands, I will not be sending her. These are crucial years for her as she goes through puberty. I don't want it to be normalized that she should take off her clothes um, to get into her pajamas next to a biological male who has a penis. <sighs> Yeah, I, I I can't really comment uh, on on the opinions of, of parents as, as someone who's, who's not uh, a parent myself, uh, and so uh, it's 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 unfortunate to hear that. But um, my my criticism of the article isn't for the journalist; it's of the the parents involved if yeah. they have those opinions. But yeah. so be it. Okay, uh, and it would concern you that this decision by the IRFU could well also be taken up because it's under discussion at the moment with the FAI and also the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. That's worrying. It is because it's a surprising step backwards for sporting organisations in Ireland that actually have been surprisingly progressive um, over the last while. The, the IRFU and the GAA have made amazing strides forward um, for diversity and, and inclusion, you know, not just in terms of the LGBT society, but um, on, a, on a broader scale as well. So it, it is disappointing. And it's why we said in, in our statements that we were disappointed and dismayed and, uh, to a certain extent. And to give fairness to the IRFU, we understand that um, they're under certain 
certain uh, obligations of being part of world rugby and also because of the changes that have recently taken place in the UK across the board um, obviously with the IRFU being an all-island all organisation yeah. they kind of have to follow suit for the sake of Ulster um, but it is it's, it's a worrying trend because again you know from our perspective at least uh, we haven't been given access or we're not uh, exactly sure of the, uh, the research that's being quoted here and therefore um, it's a little bit worrying to see well what was the alternative that, w- that was pursued the alternative, the, the alternative one just to just to make a point when you say about alternatives one texter says um, that and I'm just reading here if trans people yeah. want to play let them play on trans teams with trans coaches and trans fans yeah, on a practical level, that would never happen. So as, as an LGBT inclusive team, we are uh, absolutely fantastically uh, impressed with the fact that in, in a city like Cork, um, that we have 60-something members. But even of, of our membership, um, there are two two to three that are uh, transgender. So, you know, if, if we're just one club and we only have uh, three members, so you're never going to have a full team yeah, uh, with, with a full, a full coach. That's, that's not practical. That's and, and, and it's that's not very inclusive either, is it really? I understand. It's not. It's yeah. not. Okay. Exactly. And, and, and ironically, that's the whole thing about, about rugby, which is kind of strange on, on this note, and maybe to finish with, with this, yeah. is that rugby, at, at its heart, is actually very diverse and, and inclusive of all different kind of body shapes and types and strengths uh, you know like I'm, I'm only uh, five, five or six and a half and I play as, as scrum half and in comparison to some of the other um, lads that are on, on the rugby team that are six foot something yeah, you I think know. Yeah. you know it's looking that, that we won't be able to be on the same team and yes we are we will finish but here's what really upsets me and almost annoys me when I then see texts when I'm trying to have a conversation as balanced as I can say with your good mm. self or with Jim who had an opinion beforehand or the decisions of the RFU that I would get texts along the lines of it is disgusting listening to the transphobia on your program this morning why do people say that when I try and have a conversation like they get hostile straight away yeah, well, I think there's two reasons. One, one is that you know it, that many of the are the of the arguments, and you know you mentioned uh, that article earlier on. You know, in, in terms of scouting or girl guides, it's that you know even though it will be uh, reproducing you know certain opinions, they're they're clearly not you know entirely educated themselves, and they're a bit of a a red flag to those whether they're from the transgender community or or even any other minority that have experienced this sort of uh, just drivel time and time and time again. And at the end of the day, what they want to do is, is basically just live a normal life. Correct. So as somebody who, who is, you know... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I, I understand that, but that the views of the minority are important. But the views of everybody else are equally mm. important, surely, Scott. Mm. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I fully agree. And you know, to be to be fair, I, you know, I, I'm representing the the rugby club, but but still, as a as a cisgender gay man, and you know, on a personal level, I I don't know uh, the the various different stripes that have gone on for the for the uh, for transgender people on on a personal level. Yeah. But I, I can only sympathise. Yeah. Um, so I'm not the, the best person to speak in, in terms of uh, you know trans per, per se or, or the trans community. But I guess from from our point of view, um, we'd love to make sure to to see that transgender people are included within, within rugby just previously as, as they had been actually up until only you know last week okay. um, so that's that's the disappointing part to it but at the same time you know a policy can change and it can change again and we'd be more in, in a position that we'd be uh, we'd prefer to be working with both Munster Rugby and the IRFU to make sure that there is more of an inclusive stance uh, or at least potential for it for okay. the end of the line Okay appreciate you taking the call changing world thank you Scott from Cork Hellhounds RFC a lot of texts on this keep them coming text 086 
104106. Texts in general, uh, regardless of what side of the discussion you will be on, will be upsetting to the other. I understand that, but we'll come back and see if I can get some of them on the air after the break. Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818 104 106. Corks Red FM. By text to 0868 104 106. About the likes of my son like that. Um, I'm female. I completely agree with everything Jim is saying. He is blunt, but straight to the point. Um, Jim is making more sense regarding trans sport than I've heard in a long, long time. It's a wonder you allowed him to express his views and didn't cut him off. Um, sadly, our government is transfixed on minority group think opinions. Anyone who puts their head above the parapet, parapet is in trouble. Uh, totally agree with Jim. He says what the majority are thinking, but afraid to say it because of political correctness. I say to him, good on you. Another person then talking about uh, why I was talking about swimming and the issues regarding swimming. They're saying it is all about chasing the medals. That's why there are issues internationally in swimming with uh, men born male transitioning to female and swimming in races with biologically born women. Texter says it would be like Donica O'Callaghan lining out for an Ireland's women's team. I have no issue with any member of the LGBTQ plus community, uh, but the physical strength of someone born male will always be stronger than someone born female. I have two teenage daughters playing camogie, and can assure you I wouldn't let them on the pitch with boys the same age. Completely different level of strength and physicality. Girls have it tough enough in sport. This would lead to girls being benched in favour of the strong trans teammates. Leave female sports alone. Um, and that's from Mary and Cargilline. You know, on the point of being benched, kids are being benched anyway. They are being benched. Um, and, and this has been happening for quite some time. I don't know whether it's getting any better or not. But kids who, who are going to training week in, week out. Uh, and I know of it in soccer. Don't know so much about rugby, but God knows I dealt with this on the air years back. Where the mams and the dads are taking them and they're driving them and they're going to truck training and they're doing all of the thing and they're doing the drills and they're trying to do everything the coaches tell them to do. When it comes to a competitive game, they don't get a kick in a stampede because it's so competitive within the juveniles and the junior leagues that the coaches are only interested in winning a lot of the time and they don't give everybody a fair run out. Is it still as bad as it used to be? Totally agree with Jim that was on. I think it's disgraceful that this is allowed to even go on in society. Children these days don't know what they are because it's being pushed on them. I drove through town the day after Pride Parade and I was disgusted by the filth and the filth and dirt of town the next day. They're celebrating all the wrong stuff and pushing them on our kids. Kids are very impressionable. Half of the kids in the parade aren't gay and they probably are going through a phase because everyone else is doing it and it's being encouraged. Uh, Why don't they encourage children to do better stuff instead of all that nonsense? Do you know something that breaks my heart when you use words like nonsense or you equate a pride parade with the amount of dirt and filth that's left on the street? Forgive me now, I don't mean to come across as being, um, you know, nasty to you or anything, but um, like... That, that has nothing to do with pride. You know, you could have anybody else in any kind of a parade or any kind of a concert or get-together or street gathering that will leave rubbish and litter behind. Um, 
and it's not nonsense really you know I don't know how old you are but I, I wonder do you know how hard it was for people to be gay in, in world society or Irish society you know I mean, and even if you're quite what it was like for somebody to have a different color skin to us and what they put up. But that's what it was like to be gay. And I mean, there are many of us who, who lived through through the 80s and saw, you know, what gay people had to put up with at the hands of society at the time. Um, you believe it's gone too far. You believe it's been pushed down people's throat and everything. Uh, I, I don't know anything about that. All, all I know is that you need to have a world where everybody is happy. Everybody can express their love for whomever they want. It affects nobody else. But if it makes them happy, what's the problem? Now, this this is different when it comes to trans issues within sport. I, I do understand that. Anyway, text 0868104106 and I'll come back to it. Let me get back to the phone lines, though. Sergio, good morning. Good morning, Neil. As a trans person, what do you make of all of this? Um, I think it's uh, really disappointing um, that we're yet again debating trans people and the existence of trans people. We have to, um, though, to get through it. We have to to come out the other end no, no, eventually. No, 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 we don't, Neil. Well, one okay. time, we, if we were having these conversations right now about gay people, uh, people in general would think it wasn't the right thing to do. But one time, we would have been having these, these conversations. Um, the reality is that trans people are, are human Trans women are women, trans men are men. And the problem that we have is that um, uh, the problem that we have is that we are constantly being debated on um, national media and that is actually harming us as a community and it's actually killing trans people as well because it's spreading transphobia and hatred towards us and um, it's, it's, it's incredibly harmful. And it's, um, it, yeah. it, it always comes from... Um, you know, radio stations and, and things like that. And we saw recently as well with, uh, with Liveline. And, you know, it, it, there, there, there's, there's a reason we need pride, uh, Neil. And um, this is exactly uh, part of that reason, you know. Um, there, look, there's, there's a lot of um, misinformation around trans people um, in sports. And a lot of what's actually going around is not entirely true trans women are not dominating sports uh we never have we probably never will we're a very small community uh, roughly about one percent of the population is uh is trans less than that again or trans women mm. even less than that again are actually playing sports um there's a very very small amount uh, i hope you're not gone are you still there Sasha? Yeah, I'm yeah. here. Can you hear oh, yeah, me? Yeah, you just broke up for a second. You were going through the actual stats, which are quite minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a perception that we're, you know, taking over sports or whatever, taking places from women. There's, there's two registered transgender women rugby players in Ireland that this affects. Mm. Two. A whole policy was changed because of two people. Um, you know, and they were obviously playing fine. I, I actually had an. I, I knew they obviously existed, but I hadn't, okay, I know. you know, heard a, human, See, a huge amount of Oh, I know, I understand, uh, I understand that, I understand, I understand, I know, I understand that, but in wider society, the conversations are not just based around, um, you know, the IRFU's policy with regards to this. In, in wider conversation, it's, it's Irish people expressing their own view on many different aspects of how it could impact on their lives or the lives of their children. It could be in school, it could be the scouts, it could be the guys, it could be in sport. 
Um, it, 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 it doesn't it, impact their lives, though, Neil. Um, that's the thing. I know, but that's um, what. They, but know, they're what, saying what, what, that it does. I, but they're saying that it does. You see, they're they're saying they're saying it does, but it doesn't impact their lives, Neil. What the way I live my life doesn't impact on on anyone else. Um, you know, I'm not a threat to anyone. Um, no trans woman is a threat to um, to other men or women. Um, you know, we're, we're we're not a threat to to other people. Um, you know, we have a society which is um, stoked in in hatred of and fear of trans people, bec- mostly coming from politicians and media and things like that. We see it particularly in the US, where they have over 300 people, 300 trans people being murdered every year. Um, there's there's a whole um, uh, perception out there that, um, you know, women are not safe when trans women are in women's toilets, for example. A lot of that is being stoked by, for example, Republican congressmen. I understand. But if you say that they are... Okay, just forget that nonsense about them being unsafe, because I know what you mean by that. But what about uncomfortable? I don't... I I don't understand where that... uh, where that uncomfortableness is, there are women like with like other women in in a women's toilets, just like trans men are like other men in a men's toilets. It's actually more harmful for us to go into the opposite sex bathrooms. So it'd be har- more harmful for me, for example, to go into a men's bathroom. Um, you know, I, I don't look like I belong in the in the men's bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 that's the point is that you know there, there's a whole perception that it's it's harmful to you know us to be in a, in in a woman's bathroom when it's actually more harmful for us to be in the men's bathroom. It's not harmful to women at all. And and I was trying to, I was trying to make not harmful. No, I, I, I mean I, I, I dismiss the term, but I personally would dismiss that as being a reasonable argument to make harmful. It's a, it's it, it, it's bordering on predatory, and that's rubbish. Yeah, but the point is that there are people who are, um, you know, spreading this hatred, which is actually then uh, causing people to have fears for that. And I think a point that's really important, Neil, is that, like I was saying how, you know, there's there's a whole perception that, you know, trans women are are harmful in in a woman's bathroom. A lot of that, for example, in the US, is coming from uh, Republican congressmen. There's actually three times more Republican congressmen who have been convicted of bathroom sexual assaults and yeah, trans people. I know. Uh, and the number of that is three Republican congressmen and zero trans people. No yeah. trans woman has ever been known to commit a sexual, have uh, been convicted of a sexual assault uh, in a woman's bathroom. Um, so but to, but to, to, those that would be, like the likes of Jim who mentioned, um, would be like laying a fox into the chicken coop where, where people could transition for predatory reasons, is that's complete? Do you, you think that's an outlandish comment to make? Yeah, I absolutely do. It 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 hasn't happened. It doesn't happen. That's that's not what happens. You know, I mean, there's there's men who are predators to other men. There's women who are predators to other women. You know, those kind of things happen as well in the cisgender community. You know, that that kind of thing is not uh, something that 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 goes on. You know, we we don't. You know, we, we we understand that, for example, it's okay for a lesbian to be in a woman's bathroom and a gay man to be in a in a men's bathroom. It's like Scott was saying earlier that, you know, he grew up when he was in uh, Scouts and, and, and he was gay and 
um, you know, we understand that that's an okay thing to do. No one's talking about a, 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 any kind of risk there, you know, and it's, it's the same thing. You know, when, when I go to the bathroom and when any other trans woman goes to the bathroom, we're going in there to do our business and leave and wash our hands and leave and that's it, you know. Yeah. We're not but what about for, trans for boys and trans girls of a young age then? Like the, you know, text earlier on where a woman says that she has a son who's 11 years of age is, is transitioning. And, and fair play to them, that's absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted for them that they're able to, um, that they're able to do that and that they're comfortable in their, in their skin. I wish I, I wish I was comfortable enough to come out when I was that age. Mm. Um, you know, I, I didn't come out until I was uh, 19 uh, publicly. Started coming out to friends when I was 16 or 17. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the thing is, Neil, I didn't come out for a long time because I knew transphobia existed and I saw it with my other trans friends. And I was partly afraid to come out because of the um, the backlash I might receive. Okay, They call that I, trans extremism, is it? Yeah, I, I finally came out when I was around 19. Um, and I realised then that not only did transphobia definitely exist, it was far, far, far worse than I thought it So what did you feel you know? what did you feel as a child then? What were your emotions telling you? Um you you uh, I, I, see I'm 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 not quite sure what you what you mean by that question. I mean the thing is that uh, you know um growing up, you might be a little bit unsure at first, you know, like a lot of people are unsure about, you know, sexuality or whatever, you might be a little bit unsure at first, but you know that something's different about you, you know very often, um, you know, how you feel, that you're you're in the wrong body, that you should be, um, you should be like um, your friends of um, the opposite sex. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, um, I had never really known what being trans was or what who trans people were I'd never really um, heard of that before and for me it was when there was uh, a, a trans woman who's now um, who's now a, a well-known pop star from Germany um, uh, on TV uh, doing an interview that's when it dawned on me um, you know what it actually was so you know I, I just needed someone to see someone who was trans for it to finally click with me that's you know that's that's who I was there is a be- um, and it was at that time you realised there's a better way well, that's that's when I understood, you know, what was actually going on for okay. me, you know, and that yeah. I was actually born in the wrong body. Yeah. So, okay. you know, yeah. Yeah. you see, they, they, you, 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 people may object to debate or conversation about this, but it's only through debate and conversation that we can get through it and come out the other side in, in some kind of decent shape, you know. No, I mean conversation is understandable. That's that's absolutely understandable. No one's no one's denying that. But the fact is that a lot of these aren't conversations; they are debates. And you know, where where you know, you would think it was you'd think it would be ridiculous if we decided to have a conversation on on radio about whether you exist and whether you should have rights. And you know, obviously you should. So that's how it feels for us I because know. we're always yeah. the subject of of debate. And and the reality of it is, yeah. when we see things in sports. Neil, and I also think it's a really important um, point to make. When we see things in sports around trans people, women uh, win- winning um, events, trans women are competing in sports all over the world every day, and the vast majority of the time we don't hear about them because they might not be winning competitions. We only hear when they actually start you know, winning an event. Okay, Take, for example, Leah Thomas, who uh, is a swimmer, and um, uh, FINA, the world governing body for swimming, banned trans athletes because she had won a big um, competition. She had set more personal bests 
when she was uh, when she was racing in in men's competitions, she had set six of them, and she set one in in a women's competition. In terms of overall, but on that point, though, the fellow medalists wouldn't stand with her. So you see, uh, how they, you well, see, that's probably to do with fairness, is it, or well, lack actually, of fairness? The, well, actually, the the time that she set. Uh, was slower than the defending champion, uh, Brooke Ford. Right. And Brooke Ford um, has said that she wouldn't have a problem racing with Leah Thomas, that she um, had great respect and admiration for Leah Thomas, and that um, uh, treating people with respect and dignity is more important than any uh, records or trophy will ever be. On top of that as well, Neil, we heard about when Leah Thomas was winning competitions. We don't actually hear about when she loses competitions, funnily enough. Uh, she was in a competition in January and she came sixth. She came sixth behind four cisgender women and one... Yeah, uh, trans- that's important to say from the point of view of balance, yeah. But it's important um, for me then to have somebody else to have their opinion of a, a mother with two teenage daughters playing camogie. I can assure you I wouldn't let them on the pitch with, and she says boys the same age, but I think you know what I mean by that because of the levels of strength and physicality. Yeah, but but the thing is, strength and physicality is not um, is not the, the, the main point here, but it's being made the main point. I mean, there are cisgender men and cisgender women who are far, far, far stronger um, and faster and fitter than many people that they will play against. And, and is that fair? You know, should we look at that? I'll take, for example, um, take, for example, Roger Federer. There was a, a five-year period where um, he entered 19 consecutive Grand Slams. He got into the finals of 18 of them and he won 12 of them okay so that means that anyone going into that competition knew that if there if that there was a 95% chance that he was going to get into the final of that competition and that if they were in the final with him there was a 70% chance that they were going to lose against him oh, yeah. same, yeah, but how does that compare because that would be a man playing a man in the final but but the point is that there's you know you could argue that there's an unfair advantage there because clearly he's winning far more than than anyone else's. Now ah yeah, but being, that's in his gender sex. You see the the, the yeah, issue yeah, but, the issue for the for sections of the pop population that you're critical about is that they have an opinion on that. Yeah, but the point Neil that's being made is that there's uh, an imbalance between you know strength and ability and things like that between men and women, which just isn't true because that also exists in cisgender uh, in cisgender sports as well. You know, so that kind of you know it, the thing is that in male rugby, for example, or in male uh, GA or whatever we're talking about, um, there can be um, there can be men. Uh, or women in in women's sports that are completely different uh, weight, strengths, abilities um, to their to their opponents, but we somehow don't see a problem with that, even if it's a wildly different um, ability than going based on someone's strength. You know, so a, a, a cisgender woman who has the same strength or is even stronger. Um, Sorry, a transgender woman who's the same strength or even stronger than a cisgender woman. There, there, there's, there's, there's no um, advantage to the transgender woman in that situation. Okay. Uh, whereas a, a cisgender uh, woman who's far, far stronger than a, another cisgender woman, she does have an advantage over that cisgender woman. So, um, you know, we, 
we we talk about disadvantage between um, genders, which you know that that's beside the point because there are people playing um, in cis, uh, cisgender people in cisgender sports against other cisgender people who have advantages over those people. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's a reason why in 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 martial arts and in, in martial arts sports things like that we go based on weight categories. Um, now they're also obviously gendered as okay. well, but we go based on weight categories, and you wouldn't have a you know a, a heavyweight playing against a featherweight or something because there's obviously a disadvantage there. You know, um, so those kind of things happen in in gendered sports but we don't talk about those because solely because of the gender there are plenty 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 uh, women out there who are strong but what about uh, mma there was the case of the transgender fighter fallon fox who broke her opponent's skull in an mma fight for instance that would be based on size and weight and physicality wouldn't it but do you not think that could, that could happen between two men who are playing, where one one of the men is is much stronger than than the other one? You know that that kind of thing is really unfortunate, but it can happen mm. in between cisgender people. You know, mm. um, you know, we're, we're not on a rugby talking. pitch though, couldn't it? It could happen on a rugby pitch between two cisgender men or two cisgender women. You know, um, it's not solely based on gender. You know, it's, it's that gender isn't the the only reason. But for this. but you know, that, but well, people con- contacting me say that it could be an eighteen stone um, uh, trans woman born biologically male playing women's rugby against a eight or nine ten stone woman. That could you lead could to serious a, injury. That that's what people worry about. You could have a 20 stone cisgender woman playing against a, a 10 stone cisgender woman. You know, there, there's obviously, a, you, you know, there's obviously a difference there as well. Okay. You know, th- does, does that okay. make a difference? So okay. I, I don't think it does because we don't see a problem with that when, when it comes to weight within uh, cisgender sports. But suddenly there's a problem with when there might be a far, far less difference in, in weight when it comes to a trans woman playing with, uh, with a cisgender okay. woman. Okay. So, okay. you know, I- that, that's, that's, that's actually, it's very irrelevant uh, when it comes to things like, um, you know, weight in, in between trans women and, and a cisgender woman when we don't even look at that in, in between cisgender uh, players. Okay, I've, I've, I've tried to cover as much ground as I can with you. It's good to talk, though, and talk these things through, and I'm glad that you're part of it, Sarah. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks, Neil. Okay, stay in touch. Text 0868104106. Calls on the way. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Yeah, there are a lot of different gender identifications. I understand that. I just see some texts and people saying, what is cisgender? Uh, I was chatting with Sersha, who's a trans woman, um, would have been born biologically male, but transitioned in every part of his life then to her and she, as in Sersha. So cis would be, like, I'm cis, I'm cisgender, so I am happy, comfortable, and exist in the gender I was born in, biologically born male, and I am cisgender in that regard, is in the sense that I'm male, happy to be male. So that's cisgender. Uh, and the term cisgender came up in the conversation with uh, Sersha a few times. Uh, by text, uh, Anthony says, the IRFU are dead right in their decision. Men playing against women shouldn't be allowed. Biological men shouldn't be allowed to play against women. Speaking about equality, how is that equal, he asked the question. And I think Mick is saying something quite similar to that. Mick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you, Keeper? And what points did you want to make on this? No, look, um, everyone to live their life the way they want, that's fair enough. There's no one begrudging anyone else. 
but sign Ah, but why is there a but then after that lovely but, comment that you made? Live your life whatever way you want as long as you If you want to go around wearing a dress and be a woman and call your name Louise or whatever, that's your own business. But you are a man. That's a fact. No, I'm not a man. No, I'm not a man if I felt that I was never male. No, I- no, you are a man. You are a man. That's science and the facts. But, who, but, but who, who are you to tell me that I'm born male but never ever felt comfortable um, psychologically, emotionally, um, in a male body? I'm not telling you that, Al. It's the science and the facts. I'm telling you that. So we can't rely on science and facts in anything so. So, and science don't rule no, no, emotions. But science don't well, rule emotions. No, I know you're trying to make an argument here just for a good show on the radio. No, and it's not to make a good show on the radio. It is not for that at all. I mean, if well, my, my job would be uh, would be to protect the rights and interests of others who want on the air to do it for them. So that's the reason that I, I tackle you. I want to thank go with that. Yeah. But like, you can't, uh, what you call it, forget about the, the science and the facts. Just because someone might think of something or their feelings might be hurt, I'm sorry, the facts and um, science has to come first. Like, the IRFU came out just there and they said they listened to the science and to the facts and they changed their mind. Straight away, the activists came out and said, they're transphobic. The IRFU have never ever once said that there are only two genders and science tells us that. The IRFU are saying that it... No, no, I'm sorry. I came here in good faith. Okay, I'll, I'll stop. Go, so ahead. Go, ahead. Myself, okay? go ahead. Go ahead. Go I ahead. I didn't say that. You would put words into my mouth. I said, the IRFU came out and said they listened to the science and they changed their minds because they listened to the science. After saying that, the transphobic, or the, the what you call it, trans activists came out and said, oh, that's transphobic to say that. What? To say science tells us something and we have to go along with science. Another thing now, I was like, the reason I'm ringing you down, I was driving along and I heard that man speaking and I had to pull in because you were asking him about um, how does a woman feel? Oh, um, what's your eye going to, uh, what's called as women's toilets or anything like it, it, it shouldn't, what I'm there shouldn't affect other people. He's not a woman. He doesn't know what a woman feels like. Let's, he he, let's, he he's I, I not a woman, so he doesn't know how. Let's, let's, bio, let me just clarify, clarify that he doesn't know how a biologically born woman feels about a trans woman who was born biologically male and transition feels about him changing to her and being in a female bathroom. Is it? Yes. Right. Look, young women, especially uh, young children, girls. You still there? I don't know what it is in the middle of an awful lot of conversations. I just lose them like that. It's unfortunate. I don't know whether uh, Mick is in a position to come back on again. I'll have to get that sorted, lads, because this must be very frustrating when that happens as often as it does, and I apologise for it. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Text came in there four minutes ago just saying, Ah, Neil, cop on. In what way, cop on? Please elaborate on the text. In what way am I supposed to cop on? Am I supposed to cop on not talk about it or is it the um, line of approach that I'm taking to it? I mean, what must it be like, for instance, for a parent struggling with a child in a gender identity crisis? What must that be like? Anyway, Mick, I've got 60 seconds and I I didn't want to cut you off without finishing your your point. You did say, can you hear me now? Yes, yes. You said there are only two genders. Science tells us that you can't switch. You can't switch. Science is that. And... There has been uh, statistics and in medical centers around the world. This is 
uh, a mental health issue as well, which is very dangerous not talking about this. Like. It's a mental health issue. It is, of course. You think? How, how, do, how do you know that, having not gone, th- not gone through the struggles? Sovereign statistics all came out. Prime time, they are two years ago. They had okay. doctors on as well, said 30, 40 percent. Like, the suicidal rate of transgender people is up to 43 percent or something. It's sky high. This is a mental health I don't have that statistic. Well. I don't and know. it's not helping the people, uh, what you call it, with mental health issues, just to go, oh, you could be whatever you want and we're afraid to hurt your feelings, so you can be whatever you want. Yeah, I'm going to pick up on that actually tomorrow, that point about, you know, fe- feelings and emotions and anxiety and stress. And, and well, I, come here, I'd love to come on tomorrow again if you want. I, I will pick it up I'll in the morning. I'll have more to talk about. Okay, right? Well, I'll pick up the conversation tomorrow then. Thank you, Mick. Um, I'm out of time for now, uh, but I will pick this up tomorrow, so I'd love to get your thoughts on it either by text 0868104106. If you have a story to share, please feel free to do so, even if it involves me not giving out personal information. I will never do that. You can always email Neil at uh, redfm. Uh, .ie. Um, we'll pick it up in the morning because these are conversations that need to be had uh, for everybody's sake, really. And, uh, you know, people often talk about the minority being listened to way too often. But that's important, too, because there were times in society when the minority were not listened to and they were it was a draconian world that many minorities lived in. But at the same time, if there's a majority opinion out there that also needs discussing, I'm happy to talk to everybody. Text 0868104106. My apologies to all other business. Uh, we'll pick it up in the morning tomorrow, being Friday. I have some extra giveaways to give away, including lots more by way of um, fabulous uh, tourist attraction passes to various locations across the city and the county. Don't have time for that now, so I do promise a windfall of them tomorrow. Enjoy the weather. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.